This is Jocko Podcast number 367 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. I don't like going to the doctor. Okay. Just FYI. I don't like hospitals, actually. I always think that things are, they're just going to heal up, right? The body's just going to Wolverine and just heal up. And they do most of the time. Occasionally, they don't. Hmm. One time I woke up in the morning, I couldn't move my right arm, but didn't move which is not a good feeling. I was like, okay, well, it'll get better. It didn't. Uh, had to go to the doctor. Went to the doctor, got, you know, neck surgery. So unless something is really bad, I'm not going to the doctor. I don't know if that's left over from basic SEAL training where they you, you're avoiding medical at all costs because you don't want to get rolled or anything, but it stuck with me. Don't like the doctor. A little while after I had neck surgery, I, start, I would start randomly getting dizzy. Like, like dizzy. Like I just spun around in circles. Sometimes I would get really dizzy. Sometimes I would be trying to walk and I would be bouncing into walls. So I'm talking legitimately busy. I was nauseous a lot. Almost, almost like a continual. Almost all the time nauseous. And... Man, sometimes jujitsu, I would be doing jujitsu and I'd like roll or spin or something like that and it would just be, the the whole gym would just start spinning. Sometimes I would roll over in bed at night and the room would start spinning. It was, then you know, you're feeling sick and I kind of learned to avoid some things. You know, in jujitsu I'd try not to go inverted and stuff like this and in bed, I learned to roll, like if I wanted to roll over in bed or even to roll to get out of bed, I would learn to do it very, very slowly and avoid head movement. And I thought it would go away. You know, I'm waiting for it to go away, waiting for Wolverine blood to flow and for the problem to stop, and it didn't stop. So again, went to the hospital, went to the doctor, and they did all kinds of tests on me, MRI tests and blood tests, and they ear, nose, and throat, spine they just did they looked at everything and they didn't have an answer for me and so i'm just dealing with it just btf and just dealing with it and it definitely sucked um and then like so fast forward a year or something like that i'm actually starting my retirement processing and i'm starting my retirement physical you got to get a physical before you retire and i'm talking to the doc for the west coast seals and what's cool about this particular doc is he was a, a SEAL himself who had gone to the military medical school and become a doctor. So, you know, we knew each other. And he's, get, you know, we're hanging out and then he's giving me sort of the, the standard retirement physical questions about my health and I'm giving him the standard retirement answers, which is fine. Yep, fine. Yep, that's fine. And, fine, you know, we're just kind of shooting shooting the breeze a little bit. And he goes, is anything else? You know, did I miss anything? And I said, well, you know, no one's been able to help me, but I'll throw it out there. I said, yeah, man, for the last like year, year and a half, I've randomly gotten just really dizzy sometimes. And sometimes it lasts for a long time and it kind of never goes away. I'm always in like a constant state of that. And he's like kind of tilts his head a little bit, looked at me and kind of thumbing through my record. He's seen now that he's looking at, he's seen a bunch of tests that I've been through and everything like this. And he says, you know, I, I think I know, might know what this might be. And, 
he literally like turns to his computer and this is 2010 but or maybe it was 2009 something like that because I, I retired in 2010 but it was some it was like around that time but he turns to his computer and he, he googles some stuff and he's like here here look at this and he says benign positional vertigo he goes we got to do these little exercises and uh, I'm like okay <laughs> I mean I don't know what he's talking about, right? Benign positional vertigo. I don't know what this means. And then he like says, okay, lay down, put your head over here, turn it backwards, turn over, sit back up again. And he goes, does like three or four times, does these exercises, and then like says, all right, stand up. And he looks at me and he goes, How, how's that? And I'm like doing a self-assessment and I'm like, dude, <laughs> It's gone. I, I'm good. <laughs> like li- literally in two minutes, more than a year of dizziness and constant tests and exams, and this thing is gone in two minutes. That sealed doc gave me uh, my balance back, and it was pretty freaking awesome. And this particular doc has helped countless other seals overcome countless health challenges of all kinds his name is kirk parsley and it's an honor to have him with us here today to talk about what he learned uh in his life in the teams and taking care of team guys so doc thanks for coming by man hey man thanks for having me. do you remember that i mean i know you see like eight million people so I, i remember very clearly yeah, did, did, did the Epley maneuver? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah. you, you weren't like sure about it when you right. said it to me. You were sort of like looking. You kind of, it, it was like, it seemed as if you had heard a rumor about something that yeah. it could have been, and you co- kind of like halfway remembered it, like, and then you. I, I, could, I could, it. I could remember, I could remember the name of the test that you do to test people for that, right? Uh-huh. But, um, and I was like, and I'm blanking on it now. It's like Pike's Hall, mm-hmm. something or like this, and, uh, and I was like, hmm. And you look for the nystagmus, right? The shaking of the eyes and something you do to like hospital patients. And, uh, and so I knew that part and I was like, I know. So it's, there's a little stone in one of your semicircular canals yeah. and it's blocking that. And so the fluid's not flowing and it's the same as seasickness or something right at that point. And so, uh, I remember, uh, I remember, well, there's, there's a way to tilt, there's a way to tilt this out. And I couldn't remember if there's like a certain pattern because you have three canals and they're all at different angles. So that's why you like turn your head at all these different angles so many times. And I was like, oh, I know there, I know there's something to like do this. And, uh, you know, medicine's full of, um, what we call eponyms, like, sh- you know, the shit's just named after people. Uh. Right. So what is Epley maneuver? It's not descriptive at all. So no. I don't know what the hell that means. It's somebody's name and there's a maneuver there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, there's some kind of thing. And so that's what I Googled. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> clearing odal, uh, you know, uh, yeah. And, and so it's just, like, it's just like clearing the stones that are in the semicircular canal. And I think I'm looking for that video and I'm like, oh, here's how we do it. So I remember like leaning the table yeah. back down and going, duh, 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 right. Uh, cause like we, like we knew each other. We didn't know each other super well at yeah. that point. Uh, yeah, but you had your fucking BTF, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, reputation. <laughs> Hey, I don't, I don't know if I ever told you. Did, did you ever hear about the bracelets? At, no. At our clinic, right? So we at, at the rehab clinic, you know, Jason cha- trained all these guys. Yep. And, uh, you know, 
it, it's hard to bounce back from surgeries a lot of time, right? And people aren't all that motivated because they're just they're used to like this performance. I'm I'm supposed to be up here and like they're barely <laughs> like they're barely performing like a grade school kid or something. Um, and so there's always a motivation component. And uh, so he had these tests for people to like you know try to try to get to this level, try to get to that right. level, try to and it's like these progressive steps. And so. And then there was some sort of reward involved in it, and that's that's how we ended up, you know, doing Sears Tower with Elliot and all that stuff. Like oh, yeah. that was part yeah. of the reward kind of pathway. And uh, one thing we, so th- this is heretic, and I hope your audience doesn't hate me for saying this, but um, the WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets? Uh, we heard like a hundred of those, and we gave them. They were what would Jocko do bracelets? <laughs> and, so, and we had like this running list on the wall of like. Uh, Chuck Norris kind of thing about Jocko. So, uh, my contribution was uh, Jocko sleeps with a pillow under his gun. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, yeah. So, uh, you know, you had your uh, reputation, and I knew who you were, and uh, and I remember doing all that and going, oh, "I hope this works." <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing, and uh, yeah, and and uh, I and then we, you know, as we got to know each other more over the years, I know you you had to do that. Do you still have to do it? Or? I, I probably have to do it once a year. Oh, and it, yeah. but it's it's just such a non-factor now. I go, yeah. oh, there it is. I'm a little dizzy. Boom, but I just do it. And yeah. man, it's I was like that for a year and a half, and it was gnarly, gnarly. I remember I was doing, I was training a guy for a fight, an MMA fight, and uh, he he was like ground and pound, like we had gloves on, like we're we're going at it. And all of a sudden, like I did something where I did a quick head movement, and all of a sudden I got super di- like su- like more even more dizzy than normal. And I'm standing there, I'm like laying on my back and he's in my guard, he's punching me in the head. And I, I look at the clock and the clock, there's like, this was this was uh, Thomas, remember Thomas? Draval? Yeah, yeah. Draval. I mean, he's this freaking Polish warrior. Yeah. And he's punching me in the head and I'm, there's like 20 seconds left and I'm just like, <laughs> please let this stop. And I, I got up and walk, and I, I like was, doing a drunk walk out, you know, all unstable. And he, he was kind of like looking at me as if he had hit me too hard or something. I was just like, no, I'm, I'm leaving now. <laughs> uh, that and when the- Good thing you have thick skulls. <laughs> yeah, from, from that guy, for sure, he's a yeah. beast. Yeah, I had, uh, actually, that's when that's when Jan, the, the, the yeah. champ, yeah. not currently, but hopefully coming back for it. Uh, sparred with that m- maniac, yeah. dude. That's not a good way to be healthy. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I had the, I don't know if you remember this, I I go, I was training jujitsu. Uh, I did a, I did a, a no, Dean did a, a, a bicep slice on me and like my bicep like popped and moved and I was like, yeah, God. You, you got a partial tear, I remember. And, I remember he co- and so I go in, I see Jason, I see Doc. Yeah. And they're like, yep, hey, we can get you scheduled for surgery right now, you know, like, and I go, cool, like, sign me up, let's rock and roll. And then they go, okay, yep, we got you signed up, your your surgery's gonna be in four weeks, or something like this, three weeks or something like this. And they go, come in on this day for your pre-surgery check. I go, cool. And so I go in, I'm like, Jason, you I'm here for my pre-check, and he goes, he starts looking at me all weird and stuff, like, I'm not normal. Yeah. And he's like, hey, doc, can you come, and they come and look at me, and they're like, you're healed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, yes. Yeah. I, it's I, facts. I, you I, see? <laughs> I, I, re- I remember I remember that, like, there, there's still being, like, some sort of defect in that. <laughs> and uh, 
And we, I remember we told her like, well, it still might rip, right? With what you do, because like if you're resisting an arm bar or something, you're like, you know, you are doing pull-ups, whatever, maybe it might still rip. And, uh, and you're like, what happens if it rips? And we're like, well, then you do this surgery, I'm like same surgery, like pretty much. And you're like, well, I'll just see if it rips. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you just went on about your life and I guess it never ripped. Never ripped. I was, was going to ask you about that. Uh, yeah, never ripped. Now, now echo over here, he's had one on each arm. He's done oh, that. Really? He's needed that surgery twice. Did I call you when you when that happened to me? Was I like, hey, what's yes. up? Yeah. So remember, uh, that's funny. You don't remember because I was. I'm glad you're here to kind of confirm that because yeah. I didn't believe. It. I was like, probably it wasn't ripped. Yeah. You can't. See. It's not just going to heal like that. Like it wasn't ripped. Like the doc made a mistake or whatever. No, and you're like, no, no, no. I'm like Wolverine. Wolverine. I was like, bro, I, Wolverine. I was like I, that sounds good. That does sound cool. But Brad didn't rip or whatever. And he was like, whatever. It was like an argument. We would yeah. like so do you be accept in, now? I do accept. Yeah. Thanks go. for confirming Didn't that. Confirm. All right. All right. Enough about that. Uh, let's get into you. Let's start at the beginning. So where 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 were you born? Where where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I was, I was born in sort of a sub area of Houston, Spring, uh, Spring, Texas, or Spring, Spring Branch, actually. So Spring Branch Hospital in Houston, outside of Houston. And then is that where you spent your, your youth? <clears throat> yeah, uh, pretty much. So by today's standards, definitely, because Katy, where I'd spent like the sec second half of my childhood was in Katy. Um, that was like 45 minutes outside of Houston then. And now it's just like part of Houston, uh -huh. like all the sprawl. Like you, you literally drove through like cow pastures and rice fields for forty-five minutes, and then there was just one road, and you took that one road for like three or four miles, and then you ran into the neighborhoods of Katy. <clears throat> and uh, last time I went there, there's no break from downtown Houston to that. It's like all concrete, just jungle, one, like shopping big centers. Sprawl. Big sprawl. I couldn't even find the house I grew up in. You think it's still there or no? It's still there. Okay. But like all the landmarks I knew to look for, and they've renamed some streets and stuff. And so, uh, you know, when you get off the freeway now, there's streets immediately. Well, there was nothing, like I said, for three or four miles, there was just pastures where we rode our motorcycles and played football and whatever, uh, even went hunting. And like, and that was all, you know, on whatever farmland mm -hmm. and, un and untouched thicket. And it was just like, buildings and shopping centers and streets and i'm like i like i don't really know how far to, down to go <clears throat> and i was looking for the main kind of street that went through my neighborhood and uh i think they've renamed that street because uh, they've connected it and it's much longer now and uh, and so i couldn't figure out where to turn left to like go into the neighborhoods so small town in texas yeah how come you don't have a texas accent I do when I get really tired. <laughs> it, it's got it's kind of coming back more. I, I deliberately got rid of it. How come? Um, just to avoid being chastised for it, you know, <laughs> like being in the military. You know, people people screw with you about because I listen to country music and I drove a truck and you know, and like redneck. You know, uh, you know, uh, Chris, my you know, like my the good friend of mine from the SEAL teams, he, you know, he's from essentially Detroit, right? And, and he don't like, damn, Texas, go get me some chili. <laughs> <laughs> like, and everybody just rode me all the time. So I, I didn't have a super thick accent, right. but you know, I, I, I purposefully got rid of it. And now that I'm back in Texas and everybody talks like I used to talk and it's coming back, it comes back. And, uh, <laughs> and then if I get really tired, uh, I think my, def like, that's my real, like, 
I, I think it's yeah. a it's an un, it's an unconscious effort now to not do that and not i've let the colloquialisms come back like now i'm fixing to do something i, oh, I wouldn't do dang. that and i say y'all instead of you guys and i've always thought that was more appropriate because like that's a contraction for you all and mm-hmm. guys this is a gendered word so it doesn't make any sense it's called a bunch of girls hey you guys hey y'all right uh so yeah it 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 kind of it kind of comes and goes <laughs> <laughs> what'd your what'd your parents do uh well, my father split. That was what he did. So, like, about I was like six weeks old or something, um, and so I I actually met him at my wedding Damn. when I was twenty five. Uh, so, what'd your mama do? My mom. Uh, so the so the first half of my childhood, um, uh, I mean, we were poor trailer park trash, you know, um, and. Uh, but my mom, my mom actually had to drop out of high school to raise her younger sisters because her parents ran off, you know. And uh, so my mom had us when we were super young, like me and my sister. She had like 18, 19 years old. <clears throat> and uh, so she, you know, she got married right out of high school, essentially. Uh, and so she went to, <clears throat> she was going to college and working as like a cocktail waitress or something like when I was young. And then when she remarried is when we moved to Katie. And uh, she married a who's a cop at the time, and he he went on to do other things. Um, but uh, she started working for Delta Airlines and was like a reservationist, and then became a flight attendant. And then she retired from that and worked for Southwest as a mm-hmm. flight attendant for a while. And now she's in her seventies, and she just retired like a couple of years ago <laughs> from Southwest. She's been getting after. She's it. a hard. She's a hard like. Irish redhead, like feisty, <laughs> wiry, strappy, strong woman, you know. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, and and, and uh, she she divorced that that stepfather when I was like sixteen. He's mm. super super abusive to everybody, but especially me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so how did you react to that? Um. Well, it was a big insult to me because I was the man of the house until that, right? So like, I was like eight. I was up up until like eight years old. She got married when I was like eight or nine, and I grew up with all women. So it's my mom, her mom, her sisters, and my sister. Um, and at five years old, they'd be like, "Kirk, I think I heard something. Good look, right?" So okay, and get my Red Rider BB gun and like go and look and look in the living room, see if anybody's there. Uh, literally sent me out in the front yard to kill a water moccasin with a BB gun. And thank God, like, like a man was driving by and saw this <laughs> shit show about to happen. He's like, I'm gonna go save this little boy. And so he came out and like, you know, and I taught me how to, you know, I stepped on the snake's head and cut its head off mm-hmm. with, with his help and all that and whatever. So, um, so I was really blown away by the fact that some other dude showed some up. Some dude's kind of like hurt my mother or hurt my sister right and so i'd always like try to get involved and then he'd turn on me and so that was my strategy for a while but he's an evil fucking mm-hmm. yeah and so he he figured out well it's worse if i don't turn on kirk right just let me keep trying to interject and just ignore me and keep you know, hurting my mom or whatever so um so i grew up very fucking angry very angry and uh i wanted to kill him and i fully planned on it and uh you know my mom 
asked, I asked my mom for a weight set for Christmas when I was eight. Uh, pumping iron had come out. I'd seen Arnold. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get all the muscles. I'm going to crush that. And, uh, and I knew my dad was a big dude and kind of a badass, and, <clears throat> and they knew each other. Uh, grew up kind of in the same mm-hmm. town. And uh, so I think I was a threat to him, right? I, I was my potential father. Uh, and so his biggest fear was that I was going to grow up to be better than him, bigger, better, faster, stronger, mm-hmm. whatever. And all of his fears came true. <clears throat> um, but uh, it, at 16, I had... Uh, so did you get the weight set at eight? I got the weight set at eight. You started jacking steel? He came into me. He came into my room. He's like, heard you want a weight set. We want to wait to where he would be one of those faggots. I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> and he's telling me, well, bodybuilders are all gay, and that's why they like to <laughs> shave their bodies and be around other men and all this other stuff. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Whatever. So I went to wait. So I didn't know what to do with him. I got like <clears throat> the little bar with the concrete weights. Oh, yeah. And I was grounded my whole life, the whole time I was with him, right? So if I got a bad report card, I got grounded till the next report card. And then grounded to the next ground, and then the last report card of the year, I was grounded six weeks into the summer because that's when another report card would get. So I'd had like eight weeks of summer, like that was the only time I had any kind of social life. So I sat in my room a lot, got grounded in my room a lot, and I'd sit and like all I knew how to do was overhead press. That's what, like that's what you think of is you know, I just sit there and like overhead press from front and back, front and back, front and then uh, and curl, and that's all I did. And I just sit in my room for hours and just lift weights. Um, and then, you know, every time I tried to take any kind of martial arts, he did everything he could to thwart that. And uh, so I, like, I'd get in something, and he'd just make it impossible for me to stick with it and all that. So um, I, I was really, really angry. And I, the only reason I think I was good at football is because I was so damn angry. And, and, I, and I was a big, fast, strong kid. Um, and I just – I literally wanted to hurt – everybody I could like it was a way for me to hurt people and not get in trouble because like getting in fights you got you always got in trouble for the fights or most of the time you got how old trouble. were you started playing football um actually I started in kindergarten uh I, I played uh, we lived on this island in the ship channel that's where our trailer was and it was Kima Texas is the name of it and which is now it's like a kind of a ritzy tourist area <laughs> but it was just like this little blue collar crappy did a bunch of shrimp boats and stuff um and so we, <clears throat> I lived there, uh, literally my sister and I said, year old and I, we walked to school, crossed these railroad tracks. And I remember walking to football practice, walking home from a football game, like me and my pads, her and her cheerleader outfit. And we're like walking like probably two miles <laughs> to like our school, going across these major roads, whatever. It's like parenting was a totally different bag back then. Right. Uh, but my mom was, like I said, she was surviving. She's like going to school at night and or going to school in the day, working at night. Uh, and then her sisters were just kids too, right? Like her sisters were raising mm-hmm. us, but they're 15. Like mm-hmm. it was a 15-year-old now. Uh, and like sometimes the 15-year-old gets in the car when the car runs and drives us around and whatever. So <clears throat> it, it, was a, it was a pretty sketchy scene. Um, and then, you know, in Texas you can start playing. So I, I played what we call dad's club, pop porn around here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I played that. And then in Texas you can start playing for your school in junior high. Okay. <clears throat> and I had uh, – the head coach of, in junior high was a former Marine, and uh, he, t- he took a liking to me, and so I, I, I did well in 
uh, junior high football and then transferred to um, the really a really good football team my our high school there are two high schools in in uh, Katy the one I went to is the newer one <clears throat> and it had only been open a couple of years when I started it but we we're going to we had a great coaching staff uh, and uh, in, you know and in Texas like these dudes are making big money and like, and they, they got recruited out to Odessa my senior year, but, um, but really, really good coaching in that. And that's what led me into powerlifting is one of my, one of my coaches was a powerlifter and he, and I was, uh, I don't know if I was the strongest in like every lift, but I was, I was one of the strongest and everything. And I was the strongest in several of the things. Um, and so he was, he took a liking to me and, and he's like, I'm going to teach you how to lift for real. Cause you're like, you're just doing this football lifting. And <clears throat> so he taught me like the below parallel squats. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had to do it with a bar and I had to do a hundred perfect reps before he'd let me put any weight on. Damn. And it took me like a month. He would sit down next to me and just Count watch and go. Yep. Yeah. Nope. And he'd turn around and walk away. <laughs> and that was it for the day. If that was on the second rep, it was on the second rep. If it was on the 98th rep, it was the 98th rep. And they're like, nope. And then, did you uh, did you have the potential of playing in college? Um, I could have played. I don't. I don't think I would have. I wouldn't have excelled. I just wasn't big mm-hmm. enough. I mean, I was. I was. Uh, I actually grew a couple inches in the Navy. Uh, so I when when I enlisted at seventeen, I was five um, eleven. I grew like to six one somewhere in the first <laughs> couple of years. I don't know. Did you? Uh, it, how did you hear about the Navy? <laughs> well, and, and did you and did you know about the teams? Yeah, so that's a funny story. <laughs> so um, the recruiter, we had a recruiting office in, in Katy, and uh, the recruiter, the Marine recruiter, was a, was a boxer, and and my last year of high school, I lived alone. I lived in an apartment with actually with a guy who owns his gym. So I split an apartment, but, and I worked, I worked at a gym as, as like this, the assistant manager of this gym. <clears throat> and, uh, and anyway, and I, w- I would box with this Marine recruiter and, you know, Heartbreaker Ridge had already been out. So it was like force mm-hmm. recon, you know, yeah. and, and I, you know, and, and I love, like, I've always loved the water. Like I've always been like, as I was a lifeguard and we were always like uh, doing water sports and going to the beach whenever we could and all that stuff. Um, working on breath holds just because it was cool. In fact, like I would go in a pool and just be so upset that I had to come up, right? Because I like I'd sit on the bottom of the pool, like I just want to stay here for like. For, and you know, now sort of I know more the physiology of like what I was you now, like I was settling down my nervous system, honestly, and I was feeling really good in there. And um, so uh, yeah, it's, so anyway, uh, then I started uh, boxing with this marine recruiter, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, this documentary came out, 48 Hours. Uh, it's a news documentary show. Mm-hmm. Like It's like 60 minutes, but mm-hmm. it's called 48 Hours. And they followed a Bud's class. Actually, uh, Crimmins. You remember Crimmins? Yeah. So Crimmins was like the star of this. They're following a Bud's class. Okay. And they, Was he in the class? He was in the class. Damn, like he, right was, he was the guy, right? Like he was the one. He Just, was the guy who got all the camera attention because yeah. he was like this salty old yeah, for sure. fisherman from Boston or something, right? <laughs> Uh, somewhere in New England, and uh, 
And they kept saying, this is the toughest training in the world. This is the toughest. And what did I grow up doing? Like with this abusive stepfather, I wanted to be the toughest. I wanted to be the biggest badass in the world, right? That's what I wanted. Um, and so I would, I, I watched that thing. I recorded on VHS and I watched that thing like 20 times. And then I waited for the Marine recruiter to be out of town. And I went over to the Navy and talked to him about being a SEAL. What, what year in high school were you? Was it your well, senior? it was my fourth year, but my fourth year I was only a sophomore by credits. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that because you just were failing everything? I, what I, was going I, start, on? I started failing classes as soon as my mom got remarried, and I got in that okay. world. Right, like when you have screaming, fighting, and cops over at your house all the time. It's like, you know, and I'm grounded all the time at home, and he's abusive, and I'm always like hiding from him. Like, and it was just, I wasn't going to be doing homework in there. Like, my yeah. sympathetic nervous system was ramped up to hell. Like, I'm, I'm in fight or flight kind of all the time being home. Uh, and so, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, whatever. I, 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 I was a screwed up, I was mm-hmm. a super screwed up kid. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Bivens was out of town. I went and talked to the Navy recruiter, and he's like, mm, "I've never put in a seal before. I don't know. I'll look into it." And, and that they just started the delayed entry program, right? mm-hmm. so that started literally months before uh, I I signed up. So I told my mom what I wanted to do, and she's like, "All right." So she signed off on it when I was she's 17, like, cool. 17. Off the payroll. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yes. Yeah, so, so anyway, yeah. I so from like third grade through four years of high school. I don't, I'd never really legitimately passed any class unless a teacher like me. And, you know, then everybody starts telling you what a moron you are and you're afraid of people finding out. And so you're like, you know, I don't, I don't want to call any attention to my stupidity. So I'm just like being quiet and like, and so nobody, like none of my friends knew that I was behind in high school. Like none of my, none of my friends knew that I wasn't going to graduate. I knew I wasn't going to graduate because I wasn't going to stick around for two or three more years to get through high school, obviously. Um, and so when I joined, I was just like, you know, at some point I'm going to go get a GED, and then, and and then I took the ASVAB, and and actually did decent on that, um, and uh, yeah, so I I joined, I, I and I didn't tell, I still didn't tell the Marine recruiter because I was like afraid he was going <laughs> to be so pissed off at me, um, and then. Uh, yeah, just like a month. We had all these street parties, you know, like vacant streets. You'd go, go park our cars, turn lights on, have keg parties and whatever. Um, and it was always a mix of the high schools, and there's always some friction because we were rivals, you know, in sports. And uh, so about a month after I joined, about a month after my Marine recruiter found out uh, that I joined the Navy, I think it was a couple months after I joined, um, I I tried to break up a fight and this dude swung on me and like graced me. I, like I had decent enough head movement to get out of the way, but he like grazed me. And I was such an angry rage ball and so arrogant. I was maximally offended that somebody tried to this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who the fuck do you think you are? So I turn and look at the guy just bewildered. And I guess there's something in my eyes that made him realize and he took off running. And so I took off running after him, and I freaking body slammed him down the street and punched him. And then one of his buddies come, and I start beating his ass, and I beat up these two guys, right? <clears throat> and this one guy, he's curled up in the fetal position, and I'm picking him up by his ears and telling him to fight, and he won't. Now they spit in his face. Like, I was 
angry, nasty dude. And uh, anyway, and so <laughs> I pull up to see my Marine recruiter or to see the Navy recruiter. I pull up to the recruiting office a few days later and uh, the Marine recruiter comes out and he says, so what's this I hear about you beating up on my Marines? <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I, I watched that thing over and over again, wanted to do toughest training in the world, w- went and joined. I didn't know what a SEAL was. Uh, I, I didn't even, I didn't know what a SEAL was when I was in Buds. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the toughest training in the world. And, you know, I gradually learned more and more, but I still right. didn't know. Like when, I don't know if they did it uh, when you went through, you were a couple of years after me, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we they used to take us around all the different SEAL teams, and then you had to rank choice, like the team, and you had to rank choice the East Coast, while yeah. as also, also without visiting any of those. And I remember, like when they started taking us around to the teams right before graduation, I remember it kind of hitting me that oh, I don't actually know what you do. Oh, here's how here's how naive I was. <clears throat> so you remember the delayed entry program gave people three chances of passing the test. Okay. Okay. So you, t- you could take the PRT, and if you passed it, you were guaranteed tra- to go to BUDS first. Because remember the way it was before, you could pass the PRT, but then your gaining command had to, had to, had to agree to let you go to BUDS instead of coming to them, which mm-hmm. almost never happened, right? So you had to go to the fleet Got for it. a couple of years to come back. So the delayed entry program was all about if you pass the PRT, you definitely go, and it gives you three chances to pass the PRT, and then you get like some sort of promotion out of boot camp, mm-hmm. pr- promotion out of A school. And so, um, yeah, so I, I took the test and, uh, I remember his, his name, his, I remember his name is Petty Officer Winkler. He's a first class Vietnam air seal and at, like all Vietnam air seals, super cool guy. <laughs> and, uh, and so they had like a morning training for people who failed the test to go in and work on their swimming, work on like whatever they weren't good at, go work out. <clears throat> so you had to get up a couple of hours earlier or an hour earlier and you could go and, and they excused you from a little bit of your time at the, at, in your regular boot camp company because we didn't have our own stuff back then, as you know. And uh, and so I, I just smoked the PRT and Winkler really liked me and he's like, <clears throat> hey, you should come in the mornings and you can coach guys. Because um, cool. obviously I'd worked at a gym and I was like sort of a personal trainer and stuff anyway. So I was doing that and then got to be really good friends with him and the other SEAL motivator. And after the after I coached people in the mornings, I'd end up sitting in their office shooting the shit. They'd, they'd be drinking coffee. I didn't drink coffee. And he said something about dive pay or hazard duty pay or something. And I was like, what's that? And he starts explaining it to me. And this light bulb goes off in my head. I'm like, I'm going to get paid? <laughs> <laughs> and he thought that was the funniest damn thing he'd ever heard. So he took me around to every office. Like, tell them what you just said to me. <laughs> and so I, and I literally, yeah. I, like, I, didn't, I was just a dumb kid. Like, I just wanted to go do this training. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to get paid. Like, why, why are you going to pay me? Because, right, I have, you're giving me a place to live, you're giving me clothes, and then there's a chow hall. Like, yeah. what do I need money yeah, we're, for? We're like, good. I figure, like, I'm just going to be training to kill people or going to kill people. Like, yeah. what else What yeah. else am I going to do? Why do I need money? I didn't think about people having families and no. kids. Like, you know, you just think, of like, oh, the guy's in the military. That's what he does. That's all he does. I had a similar, <clears throat> I was in my first platoon 
I think it was my first platoon or whenever I got paid per diem for the first time. Oh, yeah. Like they had to explain it to me a couple times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you're getting that was hey, a wild concept. Like, okay, you're going to the desert and here's fourteen hundred dollars, and I'm like, uh, what's this for? And they're like, for your food. And I, and go, I only make a thousand bucks a month, and you give me fourteen hundred dollars. So you're like, uh, <laughs> wait. But I mean, I what about when I'm not in the desert? I still got to buy food there. But yeah, but when you're there, we're going to give you money to buy your food. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, it took a while to comprehend that the whole the whole thing. When you got to Buds, was there was there any challenges for you at Buds? Yeah, the runs. Uh, I, I, I was a. I was what did a, you weigh? Two thirty. Yeah. And not uh, not not a not a fast runner. I was a great sprinter. Yeah, you know, I was a fast twitch, just like fast, I was a fast twitch, twitch dude. Human and uh, and like when when we did Frog Hill, dude. I remember one time I was talking to you. You're like, I, I told you, you're like, oh, what's your wait? What? Yeah, I mean, you're deadlifting that, and I was like, dude, I can like, I deadlift f- the most I've ever deadlifted is like five oh five or something, and you looked at me like I was scum. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, that hurt, bro. <laughs> So yeah, you're all fast twitch, and yeah. so the runs kicked your ass. Yeah, um, I I struggled, and I knew I would because I I mean I struggled in preparation. So when I first decided to join the Navy, a, the Marine recruiter actually talked to a SEAL and had the and had the guy talk to me. So I had a phone call with the guy, and uh, <clears throat> and he said, well, it sounds like your biggest problem is going to be running because I all I'd done it like I ran track and field, but I did like I the furthest I the furthest I ever ran was four hundred yards, <laughs> four hundred meters, right? Like that was the furthest I'd ever run in my life. Uh, I'd never done a mile on a track, right? Dang. Never, and uh, so and I hated that, like in football, when they'd be like, take a lap to warm up, right? And I'm like, I'm smoked. Like, I, what do you mean warm up? Like, I'm done. Like, I, <laughs> come back from a lab. I'm like, what are you kidding me? And uh, unfortunately, my son inherited that from me. Uh, so this this uh, SEAL told me, he's like, the biggest problem for you is going to be the run. You need to be running like 10 miles a day. I'm like, I don't really. Okay. So I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to run 10 miles. So I go out in the, like the main street. I told him one that goes from the freeway down to my town. And it goes several miles the other way so i i clocked it off my car and it's five miles i'm like well i'm just gonna run down to the end of this thing and back 10 miles a day i didn't even have any shoes like i i owned like one pair of shoes they're like topsiders and so i just ran barefoot down concrete streets i just started running 10 miles a day and i did it i mean i'm sure i didn't do it every day but i like my memory is it's like i just did it every day and uh and then when I got, uh, and, and I and then I started timing myself in the mile and a half because right we had the yeah. PRT and I knew I had to hit a certain time, and that that I didn't degrade it. Like I probably I probably only beat that qualification time by thirty seconds, twenty seconds, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, <clears throat> like when I and then when when I went to A school, I really focused on running mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I did like a couple of 10 Ks and I, I got to where I was running like six and a half minute miles and tennis shoes and shorts on a road on the street. Right. So I think the cutoff time in butts was like seven and a half minutes or something mm-hmm. and pants and boots on the sand. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was all I could do. Uh, I mean, I was always in the goon squad, always in the goon squad, every run I was in the goon squad, but I was almost always the first guy out because there was like bear crawl races yeah. or sprints or like something like that. And like. Hey, that's my bag, baby. <laughs> In fact, you remember Frog Hill out of the island? Yep. 
it's like you had to do pull-ups before the meal or you had to do frog hill i was so fast at frog hill and i and and like anybody else, I'm going through buds scared to death that I'm getting kicked out mm-hmm. every minute. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Like every second. Yeah. like they're about to figure out I'm, I shouldn't be here and I'm getting tossed, right? And so I, I was like a real just keep your head down. Like the most humble time of my life was, was buds, and I wasn't going to bring any attention to myself. And I don't think I really realized I did it because uh, I think they had kind of groups or something. And I – I mean, I just smoked everybody in my class. Like I, I think I was come, I was almost all the way back down before anybody got to the top. And so, then there's this one instructor who decided I must be sandbagging the runs because look how good he is at running, right? And so, so he just turned on me and like, you know, I was this beat down boy. And then they got to where they were dropping me for push-ups when they started the class, and I still had to meet the time. And then after a while, I was like, you have to beat everybody, or you're still going to the surf zone. So I had to, what was the second phase? Like 40 push-ups or something? Mm, I don't know. I don't remember. I think it's it like 20, 40, 60 or something yeah, like that through the phases. And so whatever it was in second phase, I had to do the push-ups, and then I sprint, and I would still win. And, like, I was really good at that, and I just sucked it at the runs. And you'd barely pass the four-mile time runs. Barely. <laughs> I mean, every run was like five four three and me diving across the finish line like i mean <laughs> I, in fact uh one of the instructors because I, I was i was pretty good at everything else like some of the calisthenic stuff like flutter kicks forever like i wouldn't like that that's just too enduring for me like i couldn't uh <laughs> but uh, but I, I was obviously like a, I, was, I was i'm pretty sure i was the biggest but uh, mm-hmm. i was definitely like one of the top two or yeah two thirty is a big dude to be yeah. going through but i finished sure. buds at 185 Oh damn! And uh, they, I started buds at one seventy four. I graduated buds at one eighty five. Holy! So smoke. you and I met in the middle. Yeah, I, the, I, I think they called me like the cyborg gorilla or something because like I lost all my muscle mass in my torso, but my arms didn't get smaller, so I looked like a <laughs> gorilla. Like I was just, I was just a weird looking thing. But you know, I could do like anybody. Like right, when you graduate buds, I could do like six hundred push ups in a row, yeah. right? Uh, and I remember going to the gym the first time after Buds, and I couldn't bench two plates. And I, I was literally, you were like, I, I almost cried. Like I was sitting there, like going, "Oh God!" Like I had tears welling up in my eyes. I'm like, I could, I could go outside. Like, oh my God! You know, because uh, I mean, I wasn't super strong, but I was. I mean, definitely like well into the three hundreds in high school, yeah, right? Yeah, so I expected to be stronger. And I'm like, I can't bench my body weight, <laughs> right? I'm weak. Uh, but it all, yeah, obviously it comes back yeah. pretty fast. So, yeah. Do you re- do you remember when they started talking about medium twitch muscle? Do you remember the time frame that that happened? Because mm. I remember Our reading inter- about intermediate intermediate fibers. Maybe? I guess maybe. Okay. I just remember I was never. I wasn't like the fastest guy. But I, I wasn't like the most endurance guy. So I'm like the loser that couldn't win a sprint and I couldn't run. I couldn't win the freaking four mile time run. Right. And I, I figured out eventually when I started hearing about like intermediate twitch muscle yeah, that yeah. there's certain people that have this thing and right. that was me. And I was like, oh yeah, because like I could put on a rucksack and just go forever. Right. Uh, in jujitsu, like I have really good endurance. Yeah. I See, mean, that's what have kill- you seen me get tired? No. So I've been training with him for like ten years. Never seen me get I re- tired. I remember training with you and like watching you roll with guys, and you just have like sweat pouring off you, but still yeah, like yeah. breathing, oh, still still like breathing through your nose and <laughs> like just calmly mashing people. And I'm like, 
that killed me in jets. Like I, because I mean, I'm good for like three minutes. <laughs> and then if I have badass three I, minutes, if dude. I haven't won in three minutes, I'm not gonna win. <laughs> like by the time, by the, when you do like you know three minute rounds or whatever after class, by the time I get to like. I mean, I might as well be rolling with a five-year-old girl because I have nothing. Like, I have no strength whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I just didn't have that that explosive. You know, again, like max deadlift. Like I'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, dude, I'm I'm just pathetic. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's just a different. You get you get your certain genetic thing, and that's what you're gonna. You can work on it a little bit. Yeah. You can get to do a lot of push-ups instead of a lot of bench, I guess. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you. Uh, I mean, nobody, nobody is like 100% of any fiber, yeah. right? And like in different muscles of your body, you're gonna have different makeups of them. And so like everybody everybody can train to some degree to get better, at, right, to get right. reasonably good at something if you really work. It's just like any, it's like your mental aptitude. But like same. you would have 0% chance of being a good marathon runner. Yeah, not, you, here's how smart I am though. When I was in medical school and residency, I knew that the smart thing to do then was to start doing triathlons because I was going to get good at this damn endurance thing finally. Right. So when I, when I was in college, I worked full time and I went to school. For, I, went, I worked part time and, uh, but I, it was a lot at, for part time. It was like 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to school full time. Uh, and you know, for half of it, I was married and had kids and whatever. So like I was burning the candle at both ends, uh, you know, staying up late for sp- Right, get papers and right. Right, whatever finals and all that and uh so all i really had time to do was run so i'd come home and i ran and i and it started like running three miles and then it's four and then it's five and then it's six and then i said you know what? i'm gonna do a marathon mm-hmm. because you know whatever i've never like i've never been good at endurance so i'm gonna get good at endurance so i did a marathon brutal like uh <laughs> like I, I i have i have the type of endurance where like if i go slow i can go forever yeah but I don't, I can't go fast. Like if I go fast and I go, if I go anaerobic once and hit like that lactic threshold, like I'm done. Like I'm done. In fact, I did that in one of the triathlons. Uh, so, it, it, so anyway, I did that and then I started doing, well, I'm going to do triathlons. And so I started with the super frog. Did you, how much weight did you have to lose a bunch of weight or did you lose weight while you're doing that? Or did you just go Clydesdale? Some, yeah, I was doing Clydesdale and something happened to me at, at some point in my life. Uh, it was after the teams, so it was during college, I think. My body weight like settled out around two forty, give or take five pounds, right? Nothing I did changed that, and to this day, nothing changes huh. that. I can starve myself, like I can lose weight for a little while, but like give me two days, and I'm right back to two forty. I can be like kind of doughy and soft and out of shape, and I weigh two forty. I can be ripped and like no body fat, two forty. It's like that's just what I weigh. And uh, so I was running marathons at that at that weight. Um, and so I did the Super Frog, and because uh, you know it's the original like mm-hmm. throwback to the teens, like right. it'd be cool. Um, and so I. I and they have a cutoff time, right? Like if you don't finish by a certain time, <laughs> and it's basically a half triathlon, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. It's a half. Like a it's, a half it's a half Ironman. So it's one point right. two mile swim, fifty six mile bike ride, and half marathon. Right. Um, and so I I do it, and if you don't make the cutoff time, then your your DNF right did not finish. Same as somebody who drops out. Mm-hmm. I made it by like three minutes. <laughs> I think it was like seven and a half hours. And there's dudes doing this thing. Like, this guy's doing it like two and a half hours. Right. And so 
I finish and barely make it. Three years later, I've been doing triathlon the whole time, right? I ride my bike to work or ride my bike back and forth to school, the hospital, whatever, uh-huh. um, r- you know, running whenever I can. I never really practice a swim because uh, I actually just did side stroke because my side stroke was as fast as my crawl anyway, so I just I did know. that. Um, and you can do that forever, obviously. Like after buds, like you get so you get so efficient at that movement. I could go twenty miles today, probably. Um, and so I, I do it again three years later. I'm two minutes faster. I'm yeah, like, after all that training, and I'm everything? like, I'm, I'm going back to powerlifting. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm going back to what I'm good at. <laughs> like this. Like uh, when I crazy, when I was dude. training at when I was training at Odin Neto School. Uh, do, do you know him? Yeah, yeah. So I was training at his school, and I was. It was like incorporating the JIT training into my bike ride. Uh-huh. Uh, like to bike from, there. I was, no, I was biking train. to the hospital and then leaving the hospital and stopping by there and then going. And so that added like five or six miles to my commute. And uh, and I still gassed all the time. And I was like, like what the hell? Like, because I didn't understand the physiology at the time. And I'm like, how can I still be gassing? Like, all, like I'm doing all this endurance work and I'm still gassing on the mats. Like, I remember the first time he had us do like, he put out like whatever the five or six black belts and it's like, you're going to roll two minutes here. And then, mm-hmm. da, 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 and then the last guy rolled with this him. I mean, he just like thump me yeah. and I'd fall over. It thumped me. I'd fall. Like I couldn't do you're like, like a, a dream for like a guy <laughs> that owns a school. That's a black belt. And Odie, Odie probably weighs. What do you think? Odie Neto weighed? Uh, like, 70 maybe yeah maybe 170 yeah so he's just like, Oh, I get to beat up this seal. Get to beat up <laughs> the big like, seal. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to keep it. On the download, it has a seal, but it gets out eventually, right? And then as soon as <laughs> well, even they, just so you're just a jacked 240 pound yeah, dude, like yeah, they, yeah. They, they, with a white belt on, they're right. like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeff Glover, yeah. Jeff Glover, and I, I've seen this now. He the best, the worst. Uh, I don't call it the best, or the worst, but it's the easiest for him to go against a guy that's big and strong. Like he, he, he is. If he sees a guy that's big and strong, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have fun with them. And I've watched him do it. Watch like big jack guys come in and he just is all over him. And you see like another guy that's more his size or a guy that's, you know, uh, long and lanky or whatever. It's more trouble for him. But a big jack guy, he's like, I got this fool. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, didn't, didn't he do like some sort of exhibition here or something with he and another guy? He, yeah, like, yeah, he's sparred I mean, here or something. Kinds of stuff. He's like watching two snakes fight. Yeah. For, no, I mean, it's just like this. Glover's freaking I mean, this rolled awesome. forever. Like from. Oh, yeah. You know, from position to position, yeah. position to att- attempt, attempt, attempt. Just like, I'm like, I, I can't even follow this. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> Freaking nuts. Um, yeah. All right, so you get done with buds. Did you, did you get rolled at all? No. That's good. Uh, and you're you're what? You're 18, 19 years old? So I, I technically, yeah. So I was, I was 19 because I graduated and technically, cause we actually had Christmas break before we graduated. We oh, should have cool. graduated. So we were really done with buds, mm-hmm. and I think we had like a 13-mile time to run left Oof. or something. Or it wasn't timed, right? It wasn't. Was it? There was some time to it, but I don't, it wasn't no. the same as like yeah. the four-mile run. I think it was more like you better not, you better pass it type thing. Yeah. But there's, I think there was a time on it. Three yeah. hours? Yeah, I, I think there was like a time that? limit, but it right, wasn't. Three it, hours for the run. It, was, it wasn't like the same consistent. Yeah. Like everything else was like whatever. Uh, that's that same time. I, I think it was seven and a half minute miles mm-hmm. was like the cutoff on all that stuff. And that I think it was, it was a little longer, but um, so that's all we had to do is come back and do that. And then we were graduating. So, uh, so I graduated technically in January of 90. Okay. And, and then, then you had to go to airborne school? In March, I would have turned 20. 
Okay. So, yeah, it's not end of night. Yeah, and then we went to – we were the first class that they sent us a class. Oh, really? They hadn't okay. done it in a really long time. Man, did we get in trouble. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. We got – and we were there the first time anybody died in jump school. Really? And the dude – I mean, he was – like from here, probably to, um, probably to the mats, like that mm-hmm. far away from me. Like I, I heard that he just frapped in. What happened to him? We were doing combat equipment, uh-huh. and uh, he, I don't know if his exit was bad or whatever, but he ended up inverted with his leg caught in the in the in the risers, Oof. and uh, and he cigarette rolled to some degree. <laughs> And he pulled his reserve, but his ruck was on top of it because it had, it had flopped on it. So he's 19. He's from Texas. That's horrible, man. And he just, I mean, I heard that dude hit. And then sound like just like after you shoot a deer or something, you hear the, right, that, that. And I, I remember that so clearly. <clears throat> and then anyway, uh, we, you know, we'd go in the chow hall there. And you know how the, those, those army kids are taking that school seriously. Yeah, and we're, yeah. we're cocky as yeah, shit, like yeah. on you can't hurt us, like whatever. This is a joke for us. And so we'd sit around and smoke and joke in the in the towel for like an hour and like, mm-hmm. you know, keep going back and whatever. And so this Stars and Stripe reporter comes around and he starts trying to ask everybody questions. The army kids are, you know, eating like mm-hmm. a robot and then bolting out the door, right? And uh, and so we were like, hey, come here, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> so we told him that, uh, we told him that, uh, that the guy didn't hook up because he was going to DOR at the door. And the instructor pushed him out. Anyway. <laughs> and of course, we had no idea what went on. And they printed it and they said, oh my as told by Navy personnel. And so, like, then our whole class gets called oh up in front of the God. head of the school. It's like, if you don't tell me who did this, I'm throwing all of you out. And of course, like, no one's going to say anything, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, all right, throw us all out. That's better than yeah. you getting rid of one of our guys, yeah, right? It's better than being a rat. Right. And so nobody said anything. The school shut down for like two weeks, and we just got like hammered on like all the time, like all day, every day. They're trying to break out. And yeah, the dude ended up printing our tracks whenever. But um, yeah, it was the first time anybody died. So there's a couple of weeks. Wait, there had to have been other people that died at airborne school. They told us this is the first time anybody's ever burned in. That seems impossible. It does. They put out thousands and thousands of paratroopers every week. Now, maybe it's the first guy that died in a while or something like that. Maybe, but they did. They shut us down. They shut the school down. We're gonna get fact checked on that one. Yeah, Yeah. we. They shut the school down, and we did. uh, I mean, just like nothing for like two weeks, and then when we finally jocked up to go again, they were still super edgy. Oh yeah, and we sat. Like we sat jocked up in combat equipment for like six hours waiting hundred percent to get in to get in the plane and jump out for five seconds. <clears throat> yeah. It was it would it wasn't a cool wasn't a cool time. <laughs> so you end up checking in you go to team five. Yeah. Um and this is what, nineteen nineteen ninety now? Nineteen ninety, yeah. S T T what we called it then. Yeah. And so that's Q T. And that's at the team. Yeah. Every team did their own. Yeah. 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 That's what I went through too. Yeah, team you, had, one. you would have done that. Um you were what, 177? 177. What, what class were you? Fucking new guy. What, 163? 164. 164. Yeah. Uh, yeah, new guy, always. Um, <laughs> so you get your first platoon. Any any big deal from STT? Pretty no. straightforward? No. Were you, they, were you, did they just hand you a, an M60 and say, yeah. here you go? Yeah. Yep. You're a jack. Which was, which was cool guy. with me. Yeah. Because I, 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 I hate you know, I hated the M16, and I'm like, I don't want to carry that little poodle weapon. Yeah. 
tinking, ting, ting. I like the spring sound. It was like shooting a cap gun. I want a real gun, man. <laughs> I loved the 60. And I was super mechanical, right? Like I, I grew up like working on everything and like super mechanical. So I was really good at clearing the jams and knowing how to you know, worked a weapon really well, and I really enjoyed it. Hell yeah! Um, yeah. Then you, so that's what you get. Your first platoon, yeah, and first lieutenant rep, sixty. First lieutenant rep, get some. Yeah, and actually, halfway through my first platoon, I became the department lead as a new guy. Right on. Uh, and then, uh, and then I was like, always first lieutenant for my other two platoons. Just Motorhead, you're yeah. Motorhead, yeah. So you're getting in there. So what do you, and you're going on deployment. I mean, what's workup like? What are you guys focused on? What's the big mission? I know I, when I was, you know, for my early platoons, it was always like we were preparing for like one big mission that we would pray would happen. Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't, we, as much as I prayed for war, which I did, yeah, I couldn't have dreamed of like, two decade long war. Like right. I thought if we're lucky, we'll get some kind of a one mission, you know, there'll be something will happen and if, and if we're in the right spot at the right time, maybe we'll get to do one thing. Yeah. That, that's yeah, how just, scarce pe- it was. Yeah, people don't know that you're like competing like used car salesman for any work that <sighs> comes out for your special horses, right? It's like you have to have somebody jockeying to try to get the work. Was Gardner in your first platoon? No, he was in uh He's in my sister. Platoon. Didn't you guys get like rolled up or something? <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my twenty first birthday. Jack. Uh, so we walk. I can't remember. I can't remember any of the names of the bars. But we walk into this one bar. It's a really common one. <clears throat> and uh, Jason was standing up on the bar mm-hmm. when I when I walked in, <laughs> chugged a beer, and then like slammed the bottle on the ground. <laughs> and he goes, Why? Because I can. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> so uh, that, that wasn't my birthday. I, I take it back. That's like when we first. That was first, just like a Tuesday night. That was like the first. <laughs> that's like the first time I think I'd been out in town, really. You know, it wasn't a big deal because I'd already. Obviously, you could go drink at any age. Mm-hmm. But my 21st birthday is like, oh, so the whole platoon. Well, first, of course, <clears throat> yeah, they rigors take me and throw me in shit river. So, um and, and it was so, I was so stupid because we had like a trailer, right? Divided in half in the PI. Did you, did you guys have the same thing? Did you, I, did, you I ever did, deploy I the, deploy PI? the PI? I missed okay. it. <clears throat> oh, yeah, right. Because of the Mount Pinatubo, but yeah. So we had the, just like a regular trailer and it was like partitioned and there was a platoon space on each side. And they had like a regular hasp uh, uh, padlock on, on the outside. And so uh, we were walking up. We were walking up to our trailer and our sister platoon was in there was in their side and uh, my LPO goes up and he like puts their hasp in like while they're while they're in these locking and so I think oh he's locking them in, right? And then uh, we have our platoon meeting and then he goes uh and at the end of the meeting uh, he looks around and he says, Hey, uh, whatever you guys do, I don't want you to rigorous tape buck up and throw them in shit river. And I look around, and every single guy is holding a roll of rigorous tape. And I, I totally missed this the whole time. I'm like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me, man!" Now I realize, oh, that side's locked. <laughs> That's what that was about. Yeah. And it was just a shit fight, man. I mean, just like 45 minutes, and uh, finally, 
gut just grabbed my balls and just started squeezing my balls every like, that's like the, and I'm that's like, the fight ender. Okay. Yep. All right. Everyone's a tough guy. Tape me up. <laughs> some guy grabs your nuts and starts squeezing them. Yeah. And uh, anyways, and yeah, so when we go, we go out in the town and I don't even remember how it started. Like, I don't even, I hardly remember the fight at all. But I, I like knocked some short patrol guy out and just went to the bar because I was a drunk moron and like, I'll be fine. Like he's unconscious. So I go in the bar and then when we come out of the bar, uh, they're like, there he is. And like all these people start swarming out of him and try to run. And then like I hit some other guy while I was trying to run away. And they finally got us. Um, and then, or got me. And then, um, they handcuffed me in front. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, even a drunk guy's like, that's a dumb idea. Right? <laughs> And uh, so I, <laughs> so I start walking to, to the paddy wagon. It's like a Toyota truck with like the built-on kind of uh-huh. uh, camper, or like you know, whatever, like a paddy wagon thing. And uh, and the dude that I, the tour patrol guy that I'd hit was like standing there holding the door, smirking, and said like said something smart. And I fucking hit him again with both hands in front of me. <laughs> like he he went out cold and hit his head on the bumper, Ooh. and I was like. Oh, that's really not good. <clears throat> so then uh, they People threw, don't recognize how stupid we can be. Yeah. Like, yeah. They just don't know. Yeah. So then they throw me in the paddy wagon and I'm drunk. I just like th- the wagon spinning. I'm so drunk. And so I lay down on my back and put my feet in the corners. And then when we get to the jail, so when the, when I get in there, Jason's in there with me. <laughs> and he's like, hey, man. I'm like, hey. And they like, he, I don't know what he was in there for. I don't even remember. And then uh, they get us to the police station and they pull everybody out. And I'm like, I'm not getting out. And they, they're trying to pull me out. They can't get me out. And so they lock the door and they go in and they come back and they try to get me out again. I won't get out. And then they bring out this big, their big tough guy, mm-hmm. shore patrol guy, whatever, and he's going to get me out. And so they put him in and locked the door. And uh, and I I managed to, like, put some pressure on his shoulder and, like, pull him into me. And he and it, it was, like, I was essentially breaking his wrist backwards, right? Like, cause he, and he couldn't get off of it because, like, the way his body position, like, he was just half his body weight was on his wrist and it was inverted. And I'm just pulling on him. And he's screaming. And they let him out. And then uh, – I'm still laying there, and then all of a sudden I hear, it's maybe 45 minutes go by, and I hear my officer go, hey, Buck. I was like, yeah. He goes, let's go. I'm like, all right. And I get out. They unhandcuffed me, and and I went back to barracks with him. And then, you know, your, ma- your senior chief, whatever, goes and smooths things over the next day, gives the guy a case of beer or whatever. Like, it was the stupidest time. You know? Like, we, like, all of our excitement was self-induced, right? <laughs> and and I was in for the first Gulf War, right? Like it, the so the first Gulf War shut my workup down. Um, was that your first workup? My first workup, yeah. And uh, and we were we were so we got the cool thing was because of that whatever they thought the mission set was they we became a free fall platoon. And so the first thing I did was go to free fall school. That's cool. I think I only had like two or three more jumps whatever you get in stt it was like the only other jumps i'd had other than jump school so i never did static line again right i just no. uh <laughs> unless it's in the water right for duck or something um yeah so we we uh we got our our workup got sh- i think workups are like a year and a half then right yeah and it got we got shut down to about a year mm-hmm. uh got compressed and then we didn't end up going to the gulf war anyways because i think maybe it was like half over or something. <laughs> like, you know, how limited that whole thing was. And so then we deployed to the PI 
and then uh mount pinatubo blew when we were out there and that that was a very interesting. And what'd you guys do on that? Just like provide as much security and <laughs> yeah, help. Yeah. To people, so or what? we so we were so a, a lot of people don't know this, but like when that mount when Mount Pinatubo blew, and probably because it blew, there was a typhoon at the same time. And so, you know, Clark Air Base, the Air Force Base, which was, I don't know, forty five minute drive or something away, they had boulders the size of this room coming down from miles high in the sky and just like landing on buildings and cars and whatever. <clears throat> and uh, that place was demolished. And, but we just got all this ash. We got some rocks, but like we got all this ash and the ash had a ton of metal ore in it. And it was mixed in with the typhoon. So you have like 70, 80 mile an hour winds with rain and then this ash with all this metal in it. And it was, and it was sticking, it sticks to everything. And it looks like kind of grayish snow. But it's super heavy and it collapses there. It's like all the buildings are collapsing. Like our 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 uh, PBs and our and our peers, our floating peers, were sinking, mm. and all our buildings are collapsing. So they're like, it was like the first night of this thing, and they're like, hey, we all need to go down to the unit and like save all the. So we go and we sh- you know we sh- we we don't even have shovels. We have boat oars, right? Like, and uh, and we're just and like a boat oar of this stuff probably weighed thirty pounds. Dang. Like it was just super compact. And uh, so we go and we shovel all that off and then we're going up on the roofs and we're trying to save, you know, the buildings. We are up on the paraloft and uh, you, there's no light, right? You can't see anything. We're wearing flight suits with scuba mask uh, and you could shine a flashlight and you could about see your feet. Yeah. Pre-headlamp, yeah. right? It's so crazy. No one had thought of headlamps yet. Yeah. And so uh, I get up to the top of the paraloft and <clears throat> these guys are yelling, hey, over here, over here, over here. And so I'm like, I'm walking their way. And all of a sudden I stop and I'm like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm going the wrong, like I'm trying to remember what the building was like. And I was like, I feel like I'm going the wrong way. And I pull out a flashlight and I look at my feet and one of my feet, like one of my toes are hanging over the edge, like one more step. I was going to fall 60 feet. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we're shoving all this off and then we go into like one of the big barn kind of things and we're shelling off and like buildings are collapsing while we're on them and we're like jumping off, whatever. <laughs> and so then we all kind of show up in this, in this barn that has like the big I beams supporting the roof. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're in there and somebody's like, I think maybe we should get out of here. What if this one collapses? And I look up and I'm like, there's no way this is gonna. <laughs> and we're like, we all dive out like the doors, uh, you know, it's like this wide, the doors open this wide and like 20 guys get through that thing in like five seconds, you know, and the whole thing collapses. And so, um, so there was no power for like six weeks. There's no water. There was no anything. And there were you know, bodies laying in the ditches all over the place. Of course in town, they have like generators going and everything's going like two days later, they're, they're like up and running. Like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. And then we had like the, uh, they call them the NPA, like the, just, the Vietnam equivalent or the Philippine equivalent of the Viet- Vietnamese communists, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start trying to infiltrate the base and like get equipment and all this stuff. And we were closing the base because uh, there was so much damage and the negotiations had failed. I think we offered them like $10 million and they went like a hundred million dollars. And we're like, sorry, we're out of here. So we were going to close the base anyway. And so they started trying to come on the base. And so, we were like patrolling against them and like, you know, arresting some of those guys and stuff. And that was like, they're kind of like the closest thing to combat that, that we saw. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, 
like drug interdiction with the mm-hmm. FBI and stuff. You know, like that was like the, the most exciting thing I did, it's which is kind of one of the reasons I got out. It's yeah. like you know, it's just like the same training trips over and over again, doing the same stuff over and over again. It's like. I don't think we're ever going to go to war again. Like, I'm going to go do something else, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, while I'm in medical school, 9-11 happens. So you did you did a couple more platoons at Team 5. Yeah. And like you said, like you're it's the 90s. Yeah. And you're just going through workup. It's it's always fun. I mean, yeah, I... Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. Holly, I, Hollywood Seals is yeah. what we call it. You know? it's yeah. Like, it was like... It was I just... Super fun. Yeah. And you're... Well, for me, I was always like, thought the big mission was coming. And yeah. so I was always just like, hey, you know, we got to be ready. In my mind, I was trying to be ready. Um, I wish I had your confidence <laughs> in that. I was like, we had Bill Clinton in the White House. I'm like, we're never going to war. <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> so you do a couple more platoons, and then you're like, all right. Did you when you when you decided to get out? Did you know you wanted to become a doctor? No. no so was, what was your plan? Was what was your plan when you got out? Well, so I started dating this girl who became my first wife. Like after after my first platoon. Um, I dated her through my second workup and then I deployed and then I came back and I was supposed to do like nine months of shore duty, you know, like work in the department, start school, mm-hmm. kind of transition out. And then I got thrown in a platoon cause somebody got hurt. And so I kind of de- deployed actually until supposed to be until the day I got out, but it ended up being like four or five days after I got, I was actually technically out and I came back. Um, but anyway, so I, she was in physical therapy school. So wait, so you're dating each other or you got married? Did you say no, got married? No, we, we were dating at okay. the time. You're dating and, and she, you, she you was figure, fi- you date this, you start dating this girl, you figure you're gonna get, gonna get out, but you end up getting thrown into a platoon, you do the deployment, you come home, you have no plan and you're out of the Navy, boom, done. Right, okay. Right. And she's going to physical therapy school? Yeah, so she, by the time I came back from my second deployment, she's like three months out of grad school and she's working at San Diego Children's Hospital. And, and I used to take her textbooks on deployment and read them because I, like, I was just interested in, you know, physiology mm-hmm. and anatomy and like I'd, anything to make me bigger and stronger and faster and whatever, better. Um, and so I felt like I had an interest in that, but I didn't, you know, I'd never done well in school. I was convinced that I was dumb really until I, until I got in the name. Like in A school, I did really well, like I top of my class and then like I did really well academically in buds. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I'm not stupid. Maybe I just like never really applied myself, but we'll see, right? So you go to like, you know, I have a GED, so I can't get into any college. I have to go to at least a year of junior college, probably two. And so uh, I went there and like started setting the curve in every class. I, I thought maybe it was going to be like Jadju or something, like an athletic trainer, maybe a physical therapist if like things really worked out great for me. Um, and to, to apply to physical therapy school, you have to like, have 2000 volunteer hours right well that's that's a year of full-time work right so part-time work that's a couple of years and so i'm like well i get i'll start getting my volunteer hours in. and they hired me after i'd volunteered there for maybe a week and they're like we want you to come work for us and so then i worked as a, as a physical therapy assistant at san diego sports medicine center the whole time i was in college <clears throat> and uh, th- that was like a healthcare mecca. They had everything. You know, they had orthopedic surgeons, they had sports medicine guys, they had DOs, they had MDs, they had podiatrists, they had massage therapists, mm-hmm. PTs, athletic trainers. Uh, uh, so we, we had everything. And I, I got to know all of the people and got to see everybody's work. And I'm uh, standing in the hallway with a couple of doctors because um, they're about my age, right? Because I'd 
because I'd you know mm-hmm. been in the teams first, so they're maybe two or three years older than me. <clears throat> and uh, I got to be friends with them, and we're standing out in the hallway one day, and uh, and they're telling me you should go to medical school. <laughs> Pump the brakes there, Sparky. Like I didn't like I'm like I'm not even close to medical school. And so they're trying to convince me that I can get into medical school and I'm like, no freaking way I can get in, I'm getting into medical school. And then the the doctor that owned it, uh, Lee Rice, he's out here still and he said he steps out of his office and he goes, Kirk I didn't even know he knew my name, right? It's like Kirk. The question isn't whether you can get in. The question is, would you go if you got in? And I said, of course. He goes, well, then you kind of have to try, don't you? Hmm. I was like, shit. Trapped you. Yeah, I was like, that's right. And then I ended up going to work for him when I got out of the Navy. Like my first year in the Navy, I went back to his practice. He had a concierge practice in Point Loma out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Um, but that that's how that came about, man. And, and I, I mean, I was fully planning to be an orthopedic surgeon because I'm like a mechanical dude and... I like I like the succinct like broken not broken yeah hey this is broke I mean put some bolts and screws and then plates and it's not gonna be broken anymore and that's it and then I'm gonna go on and do it again uh, I don't want to look at anybody's freaking anion gap or like care about what medications are I'm like I just, that doesn't interest me I want to go fix things and uh, and then in in the Navy you have to do uh, an operational tour before they'll let you finish residency so you do like your first year and then they, you have to go out to the fleet. And if you don't, if you don't, uh, so wait, so do you already gotten commissioned or were you planning to go back in the Navy? What, what was the, Oh what was yeah, I totally skipped that part. Yeah. So when, so when I decided to apply for medical school, it's pre-internet. So I went to the bookstore and started looking through the Kaplan books to see like what schools would I be competitive for with my, with my GPA and my MCAT and all that. And that's when I found out that the Navy had its own school. Mm. I was like, no way. Are you kidding me? And uh, so I look into it. It's like they'll pay me to go to medical school instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm married and I have a kid and I have a kid on the way. Dang. Uh, I'm like, well, that makes a lot more sense, right? Like, I wasn't excited to go in the Navy. Trust me. Like, I, you know, I was in the teams. That's a good fit for the teams, but I wasn't a good fit for the Navy. I knew that. And uh, and I was like, all right, well, uh, I'll do this, right? And I and I knew that there was you know, this eight year commitment afterwards. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll go back to the teams for a while. And I'll like give back to the community who saved me from prison or you know, whatever <laughs> I was going to end up. If I, if I didn't have you know something to uh, channel my anger with. Right. And uh, so I, I, I did, I, you know, when you do your operational, so you, so you got commissioned in 2000, go to OIS, Connecticut, basically, What's the knife and fork school? Yeah, knife and fork school. (laughs) They gave me some kind of award there. It's ridiculous. I don't. I think I did like I participated in like twenty five percent of that school. (laughs) uh, uh, They couldn't make pants for me. I have really big legs and kind of a normal waist, and they kept making. They're like trying to make khaki pants like from scratch. Like uh-huh. these girls, at, at the, and they were ridiculous. I mean, they were, and it was just like they kept trying all this stuff. So I, I never had a uniform, and I'd be like, "Well, I got to go to, the, I got to go to the uniform store again." And that's all I did for like three weeks was like try to get a uniform to fit. And then, uh, and and so, and then they gave me some sort of award. It was comical. Um, and then uh, go to medical school, and uh, then from there I did. Uh, you know, there was some hoopla I won't get into, but uh, ended up 
coming back to San Diego to do internship, which is the first year of residency, essentially. And then you have to go out to the fleet. Did you do that at Balboa? I did it at Balboa, okay. yeah. And uh, the you, you do that, and if and then after that year, if you just say, hey, I just want to come back as soon as possible, then they just send you out to some fleet job. You're probably going to go 32nd Street and be on the ship or something, right? <clears throat> but if you go to uh, flight school, you can be a flight surgeon. You go to dive school and, and a UMO school in Connecticut, and then you can – obviously go back to like our units or dive unit or something like that so i was like oh I'm, i'll do demo and i'll go back to the team for a while and then i'll come back and finish residency and uh i i went to dive school and then at the end of it there weren't there weren't any orders for the teams hmm. so they put me on at the submarine rescue unit out here on the end of Point Loma. Or, okay. or no, not, it, I'm sorry, it's at the end of uh, North Island now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was like a policy job, really, because a lot of people don't realize this, but like every country that has submarines, like they all they all have this agreement that we'll, we'll rescue each other's submarines. Even our enemies, like China, Russia, doesn't matter. Like your submarine goes down on our waters and it's savable, we'll use our system to save your guys because technically these systems can go anywhere in the world, but with a realistic time window, it's, it's probably not realistic to like fly it over there and set everything up. So you're going to be much better off if the country that you're closest to saves them. And so then you have to make all these agreements like, well, who, whose patients are they going to be? Whose dive tables are we going to use? If we have to recompress them. Like what? Like what's going to be our pro? And so that's all we did was travel around the world and meet endless meetings and come up with a new policy. Um, and then, uh, then I had the opportunity to either go back to the hospital or go to the teams. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really feel like I should do that. And so then I go back to the teams and that's right when they called it, I think they were calling it, they're still calling it the human performance program and then switch to the tactical asset mm-hmm. program. Remember? And so I got there right when they were funding the build out of that clinic. Nice. And of course, I was a perfect fit for that. It's a freaking PT clinic. Like, yeah. duh. Like, I did this for, I did this all through college. Like, I know what I'm doing. So, and then, like, and it was a great time. Like, I got to be there when we hired everybody. Like, when, when we hired the first, you know, the first athletic trainer, the first PT, the first nutritionist, the first strength and conditioning coach. Like, which is crazy to think about everything that you're just saying is the first, the first, the first, the first. Yeah. Because we, we didn't have any of this stuff. Yeah. Like, it was just like, your PT was whatever your CO or your, whatever your XO was into. So if your XO liked to run and swim, guess what you were doing for yeah. PT? Like run, swim, or yeah. swim, run. Or run if, you swim got, run. if you got injured, it was like. Yeah, like you dealt with it, like figured out. whatever your corpsman could do for you <laughs> because you weren't going to drive across the bridge and go to rehab at Pete at freaking Balboa. Yeah, yeah, and even if you do that, what are they rehabbing a sailor at Balboa right. for? They're right. rehabbing him to like get out of the Navy right. with a medical retirement or whatever right. that's what they're rehabbing him for in and the teams the guys want to go back to work right like i'm hurt I, you make me better now you right got, i've got to go to nyland in two weeks make R- me better right now right and that's the other thing you're traveling so much like how much rehab do you really have unless you're going to get pulled out of your platoon but you yeah. might as well die before you do yeah. that like just let your arm fall off like <laughs> yeah. maybe you'll still be able to make it <laughs> yeah that that happened with stump so stump came over and saw me when he was getting out uh-huh and he's like i didn't know him uh, I knew who I knew who he was, and uh, 
and he he comes over and he's like hey you know i'm i'm getting out in like two days and everybody keeps telling me you should look at my record <laughs> so here it is so he gives me his record it's like paper thin and i open it and his and his and his discharge physical is like good to go everything's good <laughs> i'm sitting there i'm like didn't you get shot and he's like yeah i'm like you know none of that's in here he's like does that matter i'm like yeah that matters like i i said regardless of how you feel now if you start having some serious problems and you need surgery revision like big care like that's you know what what if you know what what if and so he's he's like oh okay and so then i check into it i'm like dude you're gonna have to stand in it and I th- he was pissed man oh I'm sure he was. and he ended up he ended up uh i did i just saw him recently and I was like, "Are you still pissing me about that?" <laughs> He's like, "No, best thing ever." How ever. much longer? How much longer did he? I, have I to think stay he in? ended up in like in another year. Damn, because he had to go through a med board. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, there was nothing in there. There's nothing in his yeah. record. That's it was, just it was literally just like signed off. Like, good, good, yep. good, good. Like I see medical record. Like I said when I was like, <laughs> "What's your answer to the question?" It's like, "Fine, yep. How's yep. your shoulders? Fine. Knee? Yep. Fine. Neck? Fine. Yep. So I got surgery. Yep. It's fine now. Yeah. Like, everything is just fine. 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 Can I get out of here now? Yeah. I want to leave. <laughs> yeah. Like like you're saying at the beginning, like, no. Nobody wants to see the doctor, but more to the point, nobody trusts the doctor, right? Because mm. that's the guy who can put you on the bench. What's the worst thing you do to a team guy? Yeah. Pull him out of his platoon. I give you something that's disqualifying. I say, oh, you have a problem. You need meds. You're disqualified. You can't mm-hmm. take any real medication in the teams. And, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, interestingly, because of that nuance, that's, that's why I ended up learning everything that I learned as a SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. And doing what I do now, I mean, less than one percent of what I do now has anything to do with what I learned in medical school or residency or anything. Like, it's I, it's I, all outside. I was talking to a guy that was oh, it was Jason. I think it was Jason. But you know, he'd come from where the the baseball or football? Where did he oh, come yeah, from? Yeah, uh, yeah. Jacho was baseball. Yeah, and maybe it wasn't him. I was talking to somebody that was football, and um. He said something like, uh, and he worked at Bud's Medical. And mm. at Bud's Medical, he, he said he would see like, whatever the number was, 40 cases of patellofemoral syndrome a week. Yeah. And he said when he was with the NFL, he saw like two cases. Right. And, and it was like that for every injury. Like shin splints, you're, if you're at Bud's Medical, you see 50 cases a week of right. shin splints and right. every, you just go down the list of shoulder injury this and so the team's the same way like you oh shoulder injury knee injury like you're just going to see so many of it you get so good at it right uh that it's it's like an environment where you're just going to learn so much so so you were in this critical role as this thing kind of stood up where the the teams started taking the health of the seal more like as serious as we could possibly take it. Yeah, and doing proactive stuff too, right? So what did you, what does being in the teams do to a dude? Hmm. Well, so this is how it all got started, right? Um, We built that facility, we hired all these great people, like you said, pulled people from pro teams, from Olympic Training Center, really top notch, top tier colleges and stuff. So we have all these brilliant, people that are great at their job. Now I'm the dumbest guy there, right? Because like, I'm just a guy who like worked in the sports medicine center when I was in college. And like, I don't really know 
any of this stuff. So what does the Navy do when you're the dumbest guy? They put you in charge, right? So like, well, now you're going to supervise all these people. And so like, I now have this supervisory position and and the rehab facility. And uh, so as you know, like my office was in between those two sides of it. And so guys would be over there doing rehab. And, you know, I had been a SEAL recently enough to where there's still a ton of guys in there that I went through training with and that I deployed with. And so I had a good enough reputation. The guys trusted me and they come and shut the door and like, hey, let me tell you what's really going on with me, right? Because like you said, fine, fine, fine. Like, yeah, fine, fine, fine. Everything's good. Everything's like, you know, they'll you know, put rigorous tape over a bullet hole if they had to. Just like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get put on the bench. I don't trust this dude. Um, and so they came in. I can't remember who the first guy was at this point, but comes in. He's like, you know, what's really going on with me? And he's talking about, well, you know, he can't remember anything, right? Like he comes in a room, forgets why he's there, leaves. Oh, remember, come back, forget. Oh, but, you know, leaves his house five, six times in the morning, get in his car, back out. Oh, forgot my badge. And going, oh, forgot this, forgot that. And, uh, and then they'd be saying, well, you know, my motivation just sucks. My concentration sucks. I sit in, I sit in meetings. I can't, I can't follow anything anybody's saying. Like my attention span is like two seconds or I can be given the brief and I'm not interested And in like, you know, but they're team guys. So they're mm -hmm. still getting after it, but they just they don't feel like getting after it. And they're like, basically I'm getting cold or weak or fatter. You know, like they're following the nutrition advice. They're following the strength and conditioning advice. They're doing everything exactly how they should do it. And they just, they're getting weaker. They're getting fatter, they're getting slower. They're getting moody. Sex drives down, sexual performance is down, right? Um, and it's really all performance issues, right? So um, I'm not as fast, I'm not as strong, I'm not. And then they'd be like, well, you know, but maybe I'm just getting old. And I'm like, yeah, man, you're 34. Like it's over for you, right? <laughs> you're screwed. Uh, you might as well just go go sex start your SIG right now, man. And uh, so I honestly didn't have the slightest idea. First guy comes to my office and tells me this. I'm like, I'm bewildered. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm like, I'm gonna do a bunch of labs, and uh, and it, it's first important to preface this with when I first got there, the department had was actually a PA. Uh, so a physician's assistant was supervising the physician and he'd been in the Navy line, he's a former team guy. And one of the first things he tells me in his office, he's like, hey, these guys are gonna come to you and expect some special treatment. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, we well, can't give it to them. I'm like, why wouldn't I give it to them? He's like, you have to treat everybody the same. I'm like, no, it's in the name, special forces. Like they get special treatment. Like we're, we're here because of the team guys. We're not here for tech support. Like those guys can go to the hospital, right? Like if we have the capacity, we'll see them. But like, I'm here to help the team guys. He's like, you can't think of it that way. And I'm like, no, we're not going to get along then. Cause that's what I'm going to do. Like I'm here to help. I'm here to help the community. I don't give a shit. My, my CO was a supply officer, mm -hmm. right? At group one. Like, I don't give a shit what that guy wants. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm here to help my my boys, man. I'm gonna do it. So, so everything I did was in that vein, mm -hmm. and I and it wasn't popular. Mm -hmm. It wasn't popular. It's popular with the seals. It's popular with the seals. Mm -hmm. right? So they came in and they tell me this story about all this stuff and. Nothing they're saying. Is, and this is just like repeat a one guy a day, one guy a week. Well, you know two how it guys. goes, it's like word of mouth. So it's yeah. like one and then one and one yeah. and then two and then four. And, then, and, you know, I'd say three months after the first guy came in, I'd probably seen 100 guys, mm -hmm. right? And they'll, I mean, I could have told them their story, but I'd listen, I'd take mm -hmm. notes and 
listen, let them tell it, and they all told me the same thing. They've since like done some research, and they're now calling this operator syndrome. I was calling it the SEAL syndrome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the syndrome basically means, here's all the symptoms, we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so it's a syndrome, right? Uh, and so I'm, I'm just like, well, I'll just test a bunch of labs and see. Like, I don't know, I was doing uh, 98 blood markers. So they're going to the hospital, giving like 17 vials of blood. <clears throat> and then again, everything that should be high was low and everything that should be low was high. Like their anabolic behavior, super low, catabolic stuff, really high. Their um, inflammation, really high, oxidation, really high, insulin sensitivity, even nowhere near what you would expect it to be on a guy this fit and this in shape and this eating this way. Um, and I didn't have the slightest idea. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. And then I don't know. Maybe fifty or sixty guys into it, somebody said to me, um, "He takes Ambien every night." Mm. And I thought, mm, a lot of guys seem to say that. Right? Yeah, a lot so of guys. I, so I put a, I put him. I remember like one of a few days I was in khakis. Like some days you just remember super clear, like way I sit and at my desk and like remember putting this note in the margin. And then after he left, I I kept shadow files because none of the team guys wanted this stuff in their record. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just keep a shadow file. I give it to you when you leave, you know, or when I leave, um, you, you do what you want to with it. Um, so I, I checked through my shadow files, every single guy who'd been in my office was an ambient hundred percent of them. Hmm. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that could be it. Now I took pharmacology in medical school. So I knew how ambient worked. But I didn't know enough of, like I knew it acts like GABA, right? GABA is a neuropeptide. And like you heard of gabapentin, you give it for nerve pain because it slows down nerve function essentially, right? Okay. Um, and I'm like, but I don't know enough about sleep to know why that's significant. What GABA does in sleep, I don't know. I didn't have a single class on sleep in medical school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, the way the pharmaceutical industry works, yeah, the, when they apply, for uh, FDA approval, they own the research and they give the FDA what they want to give them. They don't give them what they don't want to give them. And, but then if they ever get sued in court, they have to pull up the skirt and show everything. So that had happened with Ambien, like right before this happened. And so they were getting sued. And so now we knew the, the real side effect profile. Um, and so I just had to learn a ton mm-hmm. about non-traditional medicine. I had to learn a ton about sleep. I thought maybe it was adrenal fatigue, like I was trying, which isn't even a, like a real thing. Uh, but um, yeah, that was kind of like the alternative medicine thing. Well, adrenal fatigue, it's like an HPA mismatch. There's some validity to it, but it's, it's really not like the way it's pr- proposed. But I was I was having some success doing that, like, um, but it wasn't huge. And then, but I noticed like everybody's testosterone was low, everybody's growth hormone was low, like low, low, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in medicine, like I'm a Western trained medical physician, right? So I know how to recognize and treat disease. What do I do if it's not disease, right? It's within the bell curve, but it probably should be higher, but there's no, right? So the chair at UCLA, the chair of endocrinology at UCLA had done this research where he, he stratified the bell curve for testosterone and broke it into quintiles so 20 so 80 percent to 160 to 80 right and the top quintile you had the lowest risk of death from any cause 
lowest risk of any disease. Every quintile you go down, it doubles. So by the time you're in the fifth quintile, it's 16 times. You're 16 times more likely to die of any cause. You're 16 times more likely to have any disease. Every guy who came in to see me was in that quintile. Mm. Now, if that were magnesium, it would be medical malpractice to not give everybody magnesium and keep them in the upper quintile. But because athletes use ter- you know, testosterone to cheat in sports, it's political, so you don't give that, right? And that's a, that's a no-no. So I wasn't about, to, they weren't about to let me give guys testosterone. Mm-hmm. But then I learned, hey, when you're sleeping, that's when your testosterone's made. <laughs> like that's when everything's rebalanced. All your hormones, the most anabolic time in your life is the first sleep cycle, right? You go through your first sleep cycle and most the most of that is deep sleep. Deep sleep has the lowest stress hormones, the catabolic hormones that you'll ever have in 24 hours and, uh, and has the highest anabolic. So most of your repair, right? Obviously when you work out, you don't get stronger. You get weaker, you damage yourself. Mm-hmm. When it repairs, it comes back stronger. Well, that's happening while you're asleep. So I thought, so once I learned like what goes on when you go to sleep, and th- what I had going for me was, you know, the teams had already done some great work and already had a great reputation, because this is like 2009, right, mm-hmm. 2010. And, uh, and so I could call up anybody, be like, hey, I read your book, or I saw your TED talk, or heard your lecture. Um, and I'm the doctor for the West Coast SEAL team, so I was wondering if I could train with you or consult with you on clients, whether everybody was like eager to help, right? That's awesome. So I got to learn a lot really quickly. And I start and I started trying to tell the leadership that I thought that a lot of our performance issues, uh, our chronic injuries and our, you know, just guys not feeling good, not performing well, not feeling motivated, not being resilient. Um I said, I think a lot of this is from their hormones. I have the proof Mm -hmm. that their hormones are, they have the hormones of an 80 year old man uh, and an 80 year old fat man actually. And, uh, and I said, I think it's sleep. Was that everybody was like that? I mean, I remember you, I remember you talking to me. You're like, well, you, I mean, I was good, and yeah. you were like, you're like, dude, you're free. You told me, you told me I had the testosterone of a 17 year old football player. I was like, yes, yeah. yes. There, there, there are some people who, who just get through, like, yeah. for whatever reason, they stay resilient. You know, but, yeah. but, but I obviously have a biased sample because mm-hmm. people are coming because, to me because yeah, they right. have problems. Right. So like it. everybody, I so you were just getting me because I was retiring and like right. here I am. Right, okay, right. got it. So most of the guys were coming to you. They feel like shit. Yeah. And they're just coming to you like, bro, can you please help me? Right. So then once I figured out the Ambien thing, I started digging into that. Uh, Which, by the way, I've never taken Ambien. Yeah. No, that's You're right. super unique. Yeah. I, I had uh, I had the corpsman pull, pull medical records and look, and 85% of our command uh, of the West Coast, 85% yeah. of the West Coast SEAL teams had a prescription for Ambien. Yeah. Whether I, or not they were taking it, I don't know. But. Like my doc, we were on deployment, my doc's like, Hey, hey, we need to get. He was like, see, I he, he didn't even need, need to tell me, but he was just telling me like, hey, we're we're out of Ambien, or yeah. like we're almost out of Ambien. I got to get more. I'm going to whatever, and I was kind of like, I didn't really think much of it because, like I said, I I'd never, I've never even tried it. I don't even know what it feels like. But guys were freaking on Ambien like it was like it was yeah. uh, eating M and M's, man. Right. And so, well, what is it? Does it jack up your? Yeah. So, so they thought. So the way they used to get people to sleep was with benzos, like Valium. Oof. Right, and turns out if you overdose on those, you quit breathing and you die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they're super hard to get off of. Right, that's what happened to Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Right, like <clears throat> super hard to get off of. So they found these Z drugs. So 
GABA is this neuropeptide that basically slows neurons down, right? So when you're when you go to sleep, uh, one of the primary things that's happening in sleep is your neocortex, so the part of the brain that you think of as the human brain, the wrinkly bit. Uh, that's where like all your motor function is, all your sensory and all your processing of that, like your interpretation of, of the world. That's how you interact with the world mm-hmm. is that part, right? So that, that slows down and you quit interacting with the world. You quit paying attention. Your senses still work, obviously, right? Because mm-hmm. I can turn on the light and your eyes yeah. still sense the light and you'll wake up, right? I can make a loud noise. So you're, all your senses are still working. You're just not paying attention to them. So GAB is the primary neuropeptide that's making that happen. So the pharmaceutical industry, the way they work is like, well, if we figure out this one step of this process, then we can supercharge that step, right? So now this is gonna bind a GABA receptor, but it's gonna do 100 times more than GABA does. And that was benzos. And then the Z-jugs were like, a thousand times what GABA does. What's a Z? I don't know. I, I it's can't like remember. another brand name so or another, uh, another so form. That's a category. So that's like uh, Ambien and Lunesta. And there used to be a third one. I can't remember. What and it these is. are like a thousand times. That's a thousand times the effect of GABA. So what was happening is, is just dissociating people. So, God. so they would take this and basically they quit interpreting their senses, but they could still be awake. And so the reason they were getting sued is people were like, driving down and doing lizard brain stuff. They're driving down picking up prostitutes. They're driving down and eating, you know, oh God, $50,000 worth of fast food. They're going to Vegas and gambling their life savings away and mortgaging their house and and wake up the next day, they don't even remember it. They have no recollection of it whatsoever. And so that's what they start, that's what they're getting sued is for. Is it somewhat addictive too, Ambien? Well, it is for this reason. So. So yeah, the first thing that happens, obviously, the blue light goes out of our eyes. That change that, that makes some changes in our brain, um, and act and melatonin gets secreted. Everybody's heard of that. It's, an, it's a it's a hormone in your brain, uh, and that's like the initiation of everything, right? That's the as, as uh, Matt Walker calls it, the starter pistol, which I think is a great metaphor. So that initiates everything. And one of the primary things that happen is GABA comes in and slows down the brain. You quit paying attention to your environment. Your body temperature goes down. And, like, that's what makes you feel sleepy. So um, if your your body's a really smart machine, right, it's efficient. It's not going to do anything it doesn't need to do. That's why if I give you testosterone, you quit making testosterone. Mm-hmm. Why the hell are you going to spend energy making it? You're getting it for free. So if I give you GABA and it's having a thousand times the effect of GABA, or I'm sorry, if I give you a Z drug, it's having a thousand times the effect of GABA. All the receptors for GABA, we only need one one thousandth of them, right? Because <laughs> you have all you have all of this freaking GABA everywhere. It's like you don't need all these receptors, you know. So what happens is you downregulate receptors, and now you quit taking that you're GABA deficient no matter how much GABA you have in your brain because you need a thousand times what you would ordinarily have just to be normal now because you have so few receptors. And then the receptors take six to eight weeks to come back. Nobody can wait six to eight weeks to start sleeping again, right? So they get, they're really hard to get off of too. So that's why the Ambien becomes addictive. Yeah. So people can't quit it because it's just making them normal. It's the same thing when people take, you know, 50 milligrams or even 10 milligrams of melatonin. It's like, your brain only makes about six micrograms from the time the sun goes down until you wake up. You're taking 10 milligrams all at once. 
way more than you're, and you're gonna downregulate receptors. And now when you quit taking melatonin, you're melatonin deficient because you don't have enough receptors. How long does it take to get back to where you're producing melatonin again? Well, you're still producing it. It's just like you're producing a normal amount with maybe a tenth or one one hundredth of the receptors. So you're you're deficient because you need both. It doesn't matter how much. Do you get them back eventually? The receptors. Yeah, it takes like six to eight weeks. uh, You know, SSRIs are very similar. Like they're working on serotonin reuptake, and they're working on receptors. And it takes like six to eight weeks to really start working, and takes six to eight weeks to Mm -hmm. recover from. And guys that do testosterone, you you. Do you ever start making that again if you go on if you're on testosterone? It depends on how long you're on and what you do while you're on it, right? So there are things that you can do to maintain testicular volume and function. Uh, most doc in the box guys don't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like hey, here's your testosterone, and then and most of the most of the guys that I end up seeing. Yeah, they're they're being seen by some guy who's giving them like two or three hundred milligrams once a week or once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So they're getting like this huge surge. They're going super physiologic mm-hmm. for a few days. They turn into a caveman for like two days, and then <laughs> they downregulate their receptors, and that testosterone gets converted into estrogen. And estrogen is the signal in your brain to tell your brain how much testosterone you have. So if your estrogen's high, your brain assumes that's from testosterone. So now you quit producing as much testosterone. And so they get this peak. Now they downregulate their receptors, right? And they downregulate their own production. And so after a few months of that, once all the receptors have changed and all the physiology has changed, now they're super physiologic for maybe a day or two, and they're normal for a day or two. And now they're low the whole rest of the time. Some guys, that's two weeks. And so they'll always come in and be like, hey, I started this and I felt great. And now I feel just like I did before I started. And I'll say, how much are you taking? How often? Like, eh. Are they are they looking at your DHT? Are they looking at your estrogen? Are they looking at your sex hormone binding globulin? Are they looking like are they looking at anything other than your testosterone? Are they even looking at your free testosterone? Because total testosterone really doesn't matter. How much of it is available? Um, and so, th- like, th- this is true with every hormone. Anything, anything, any hormone I give you, you're going to quit making it. Now there are things that I can. There's things I can give you that will cause you to keep making testosterone while you're taking testosterone. It's not perfect, but those guys that can come off of testosterone probably be okay. They're they're still going to be bad off, right? Because they they weren't able to make enough when I met them. Yeah. <laughs> so now they're going to be a little worse than that when they get off. And so, like what I was doing with the team guys is, I was first doing it with like all supplements. First, I was getting guys to sleep and getting them off of the Ambien, right? Um, and that's that just came from me. And I couldn't just say quit taking your Ambien because our you know our community, if one is good, two's better, and three's probably great. So they're taking like three Ambien with. So they're with, taking seven. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're taking three Ambien with like a couple of cocktails, and then they're waking up at four thirty, not intentionally. <laughs> you know, they're waking up at four four thirty, and they're like can't go back to sleep. So I'm going to go into the gym. I'm going to work out really hard today. I'm not going to take any breaks. I'm going to work all day. When I come home tonight, I'm going to be tired and I'll go to sleep. They're like, all right, how long have you been doing that? I'm like three years. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> like tonight's tonight, I think. Right. Like obviously oh, it's not tired. Obviously it's not working. Right. Um, and so like once I learned how Ambien destroys REM sleep, so like 80% of REM sleep goes away and it knocks out about 20% of deep sleep. Alcohol is exactly the opposite. So destroys deep sleep, 
gets rid of about 20. So when I sent these guys in for sleep studies, 99.9% stage two sleep. So they weren't getting any deep sleep, any REM sleep. Do they wake up in the morning and feel they, like shit? Yeah, how do they even, I don't even know how they survived it, honestly. Like, and that's one of the things about medicine, proves to you how little we know, because that should kill them. <laughs> it should kill them in a couple of weeks, because that's the same as getting no sleep, you would think. Uh, but this is what, you know, the ambient lawsuits kind of were fortunately out to where I could learn all that. And so I couldn't just take away their ambient and alcohol and say, suck it up, buttercup, right? Like, I had to give them something, so I... I did some research and came up with a bunch of things and they were having to go to all the pre-Amazons. They're having to drive around to three different stores and get all the ingredients and try to travel with it and it was a pain. And so, you know, they really harangued me into making a product out of it um, to for, make it easier for them. Um, so, I, you know, I, I figured out that sleep was a huge component and that that was causing probably a lot of their low testosterone. And then there's things I can give you, like the precursors to testosterone, like DHEA. And you can do a form of DHEA, 7-keto DHEA, that can't be converted into estrogen. So that's good, right? I can give you zinc citrate, which will decrease the amount of estrogen you make uh, from your testosterone. Um, and then I, I, some guys I was giving uh, a pharmaceutical called a Remedex, and that blocks estrogen conversion too. It's, a, it's called an aromatase inhibitor. Um, and so just with like DHEA, pregnenolone, uh, which is another precursor to the testosterone pathway, and uh, some zinc or, or Remedex, and getting guys to sleep, guys were tripling, quadrupling their testosterone levels over six months, hmm. 46 months, right? Um, yeah, I, I One of the CEOs out there, um, he got like, and the couple of years I was treating him, he had like three PRs, like like weightlifting and running and like something else. And like in his forties, like this is the best he's ever been in his life uh, because he's you know he's been broken down. We and like our community has some of that just because of the chaotic sleep anyway, right? Just because well tonight you're working and then <laughs> tomorrow you're working too, and then you know and yeah. now we're gonna travel and we're gonna go over here, we're gonna do this and like and so every like. You sleep when you can, obviously, right? And so it's chaotic. And if you aren't aligned with your circadian rhythm, sleep is nowhere near as valuable. And uh, so I got I got guys sleeping, and they had huge performance gains. Uh, there are a few older guys that I couldn't get them to make enough testosterone to be in the mm -hmm. upper quintile. So I think when they 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 like shut me down and had me under investigation for a while and like i i mean i, I essentially sacrificed my career for the, like there was no way i was getting any kind of navy residency or anything because i i was just in trouble all the time with bumed or the hospital or warcom whatever like everybody's um and even like my what were they mad about um that i was practicing outside of my scope that i was uh like I was giving people what's called Myers cocktails when I thought that it was adrenal fatigue, it's IV vitamins. Apparently, I'm not allowed to do that as a doctor, hmm. <laughs> and uh, I got in a lot of trouble for that. Um, the Arimidex, ignorant doctors will say it's a cancer drug. Why are you giving somebody a cancer drug? Like it's not a cancer drug, you moron. I mean, you give it to women with breast cancer because their breast cancer is estrogen sensitive and you want them to make less estrogen. That's nothing to do with cancer. Like you just don't want them to have estrogen. It's an, it's an estrogen blocker. That's all it is. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I just like everything I did, you know, and, and all it takes, because I was a junior doctor, right? Like all it takes is for somebody senior to me anywhere in the medical chain to be like, he's doing what? Why is he doing that? Like, no, we can't allow that. And so then they call Warcom and complain that this rogue doctor is doing all this crazy voodoo stuff. That's what it's called, like voodoo. Mm-hmm. And when I, even when I when I told the leadership, uh, Andrew or uh, was Krongard, what Alex mm-hmm. Alex Krongard, uh, he was uh, the Commodore at the time, and he was super receptive. He he's smart, educated, on all this stuff. Uh, but everybody else, like, literally laughed me out of their office, going, "You gotta be kidding me." <laughs> their testosterone low because they aren't sleeping right doc like you got some problems and uh but then started getting results and people started performing better and word of mouth spread and then they started having me lecture at the pre and post retreats and then i you know that's when i like was sharing the stage with like rob wolf and wellborn and cresser and like all those guys and then they started inviting me on podcasts and inviting me to other symposiums and stuff. And like, that's kind of where my career went because of what I was doing with our, with our guys. So what, what year did you end up getting out of the Navy? January 13. So you retired from the Navy of January 13. I didn't retire, but I got, you know, you, nine, 19 years. <laughs> you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Bro. I, well, so, but medical school is like, uh, the academy so it only counts retro so you have to do 24 years to retire uh, so i would have had to stay in five more years okay well, and there was been. there was nowhere for me to go i mean i was gonna end up in antarctica or something like, yeah, yeah. Uh, i'd burned i'd burned a lot of bridges to do what i did yeah so then what'd you do when you punched out so you kind of had i, you I were, went and worked at the concierge practice in uh in point, point loma. loma with the doctor who talked me into becoming a doctor and then he wanted me to succeed him in that practice and take it over and it was exactly what I thought I wanted, you know. Um, and I was already doing some private consulting. Like people heard me on podcasts and be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, I want to work with you." And so it's sort of te- telemedicine, like Zoom stuff, mm-hmm. um, Skype in those days, I guess. Um, and uh, so I was doing some of that, and then, but of course, when I left, I created like this vacuum because the next guy who came to the teams was just like a doctor, like mm-hmm. a regular doctor. He was just waiting, biding his time. Did to you get back try and do like a turnover of what you had learned with him? Yeah, but but he was like, I'm, I want to I stay in the Navy. Yeah, after seeing what happened to me, there wasn't anybody who's going to be interested in doing what I'd done. Has the world caught up with these protocols yet? Yeah. yeah, like I'd say maybe four or five years after I got out, like SOCOM hired me to come and lecture there and like lecture all their medical staff and like damn neck hired me to come in, do a lecture and teach all their medical staff. And I, I consult them on all those guys on a fairly regular basis still. So. B.H. Liddell Hart, who wrote the book called, he wrote a bunch, he wrote countless books, but you know, he's a, he's a World War One guy, fought at the Somme, and he, he wrote the book that I love called The Indirect Approach. But one of the things he says in that book is, the first person with an idea, if they stick with that idea and they hold on to it, guess what they become? A martyr. So and you look out through, throughout history, like yeah. if you have an idea and you, you're like, hey, this is the way it should be, you you end up a martyr, and that's kind of like what happened yeah. to you because it, it takes a while for ideas to get accepted. He he rolls out this one example of with uh, the major changes that have been made to warships over the past whatever it is two hundred years. Every major change that came, 
like no one accepted it until like somebody got martyred and then you know f- like going from uh whatever from sale to like steam you right. know those first guys were like are oh, you an, an idiot what are you gonna do when you're out at sea and there's no coal you're an idiot yeah like we can sail forever and sure enough these guys get fired and then the next guy says you know we should make the holes out of uh out of metal instead yeah. of wood. What are you, an idiot? How are you going to repair metal, those things? Metal's heavier than water. <laughs> yeah, like all those things. And that's what happens. So if you're the if you're the first person to roll out, if you're not careful, now you can be careful and you can get it done in a more, this is what he talks about, yeah. a more indirect manner. So if you had said, all right, I'm going to be like super strategic and I'm going to run this up the chain, it would have taken longer. You had to you had to tell a bunch of guys, like, can't do anything for you now. You know, it would have taken you seven years or whatever. Right, right. So I'm not saying it would have been, it's just a, a, that that indirect approach is how is the only way to, well, not the only way, but it's w- probably the only way to avoid becoming a martyr. But for you, you're sitting there looking at people that are hurting and you're like, all right, I'm gonna help these, these guys. guys and that's their, what it is. The guys need help right now. Yeah. Like it's totally totally worth it. Like I I, I was fully aware of what I was doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not whining about it. Like yeah. I, I knew what I was doing at the time. I, I had a I had a quote taped in my monitor from Buckminster Fuller. It said it said uh never fight the system. Create a superior system that makes the old one obsolete. And so I was like, all right, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna do the right thing. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, like I learned all this stuff from other people, right? Yeah. It's not like I invented right. what I was doing. Um, I mean, I'd, I had a few novel ideas, but for the most part, like I'd learned all this from other people. So th- this was going on in the world. It just wasn't going on in our world. Mm-hmm. And now it's in our world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but I left this vacuum when I left. And so all these guys kept coming to me, like when they got, when they got out, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you, uh, do you, do you know anything about the honor the Honor Foundation. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I definitely know about it. Yeah, yeah for sure. So Joe Musselman I've was... spoken there a couple times. Yeah. yeah. So, so Joe Musselman was the guy who found it. Yeah. He's the guy who didn't make it through Buds. Um, and uh, he wanted to do this ed- educational component of it. And I'd seen enough team guys like, these guys need a medical rehab that mm-hmm. year too, right? So like educate them for a year, but like let's get them in medical shape first so that they can actually learn, so they can remember, <laughs> they can sleep, they can, right? Uh, and so they're not emotional wrecks and you know racked with anxiety and all this and all this other stuff and so um you, we pitched that's how i got back and in, involved with uh dr rice a guy who talked to me in medical school is he had this great clinic in point Loma, is huge mm-hmm. and he had very few patients and uh so he had the clinical space and we we're like so we pitched him like hey man could we run like this pilot program through here and we were trying to raise money for that, and there, the money just wasn't there for the medical because mm-hmm. it's too expensive. But we did like, I, don't know, I think we did like ten families, like team team guys, family or something, proof of concept. Um, and so, and then I and then I ended up working at the clinic instead of just doing. But my plan was to do that, like to build that, um, because all the, everybody was calling me anyways. Like all the team guys were calling mm-hmm. me anyways, and they still to this day. Um, like I'm always managing fifty guys. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and you one, they trust me. Two, I I know our community better mm-hmm. than anybody, and I I know what they need. I know what their problems are before they even know what their problems are. Um, and so I was, uh, like that's kind of been my philanthropic work. It's just like I just kept. Do you do that for civilians as well? I do it for civilians, and they pay me. They yeah, pay yeah. me. A, they pay me a lot so that I don't have to charge the team guys. Right. And uh, up until just recently, like I'm, I'm on a bunch of different advisory boards for um, the nonprofits who are trying to help our mm-hmm. guys out. Um, and 
so I've never charged any of the team guys for uh, my time, but they have to pay for their meds because mm-hmm. they're not, you know, it's not yeah. coming through TRICARE. Um, and so now a lot of these foundations are paying for their meds. And so in the last couple of years, like it's, it's gotten a lot better, you know? Um, and there, there's even, uh, I haven't seen any, but I, there's other doctors that are doing this work with these foundations and they're, they're treating some active duty guys too. So, and then you ended up making your, your sleep supplement too. Yeah. So actually when I was, when I was at the, when I was at the clinic, when I was at the concierge clinic, um, is life wellness, by the way, give him a shout out. Maybe life like, wellness, in life, point Loma, still, in, in still point active, Loma, still rolling. Still there. Yeah. Life wellness Institute, I think it's called. Um, and, uh, you know, so I worked there for a year and I mean, I just, I just had so much, there's so much demand for my time and like, there's no way I could do what I needed to do. Um, the team still hadn't caught up. They still weren't doing anything about sleep. Um, and so, the guys were just kind of haranguing me into like, dude, just make it a product. Like how hard is this to do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. Like I'll, so I'm like, I'm going to step away from the clinic for a year. I'm going to start the sleep supplement. I'll, I'll just live off of my consulting. Um, and I think I was doing an hourly rate back then. I do like annual programs now, but, um, I, I said, I'll just live off of my consulting. I'll start this thing up and I'll go, go back. And so your client. consulting is, is this medical consulting for individual humans? Is that yeah, what it yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I do, uh, like I do some organizational stuff like they'll mm-hmm. like, um, whatever law enforcement or right. professional sports teams, whatever, they'll hire me to lecture and kind of help them design a program. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're talking about like, Hey, I want you to help me feel better. Yeah. And so uh, here's my money. Yeah. So now I have, <laughs> now, I, now I do annual programs. People can only do a year. Like I won't, I don't do multiple years. Like I'm going to teach you everything you need to know in a mm-hmm. year. You have to have another doctor. Cause I'm not, I'm not your don't primary call me care with doctor. or whatever. Yeah, you, you got a, you you a cold, throat. you have a broken leg, like that's not me. So I, and, and what I do is performance. Like I didn't break, I didn't call it that at the teams, but if you think about it, that's exactly what it's doing is it performance, right? Like none of these guys had a disease. They just weren't performing like they felt like they should perform. And so, um, so that, that's what I do now. And so it's mainly like, you know, big executives or entrepreneurs, traded their health for wealth yeah. for 20 or 30 years yep. and now they had like a big exit whatever like you know they sold their company they got 100 million dollars don't care about money and they want to buy that health back. they want that health back <laughs> they want to be division one athletes again and i'm like mm, pump the brake sparky like maybe we can get you we can drop 40 pounds of fat off you in the year uh and get you back into being able to be physical and you know yeah, yeah. so uh so yeah i I, I charge those guys a lot of money, one, to make sure that they're motivated, and uh, two, just uh, pay for me to treat team guys. Right. And then, like, right before, I'd say, like, a year before I got out, I was at a conference where uh, a guy was lecturing on TBI, and I had at least one guy I knew that had TBI because that's <laughs> this is what we thought about TBIs in this time. Um, so, you know, if somebody hadn't been knocked unconscious, then you didn't think they had a TBI. Um, so then I, I went to this guy's lecture and he was working with pugilists and, uh, and some NFL guys. And he starts throwing up his case reports and like looking at their blood markers. I'm like, that looks exactly like my guys. Are you kidding me? So then I started doing my own research. And in 2009, there was a JAM article written and it was done uh, between Cambridge and Harvard thousands of people and uh 
they they have these imaging called DTIs, and it's like it's so it's so uh, the resolution so clear they can see a single neuronal tract breaking, Dang. and they call that a minor TBI. So they're like, what's the threshold? It turns out it's one point zero nine G's. They got that from the. One point zero nine G's can cause a minor TBI. A minor TBI. They were getting that from the acceleration changes on a roller coaster. And I'm like, I wonder how much our stuff is. So I started investigating, like, yeah, and the stuff we've tested. Like, we haven't tested everything, obviously, but um, you know, the, they're like the fat, like Damnix fast boats. <laughs> they average sixty G's for hours. They peak over hundred G's. So they're just like, boom, head injury, head injury, head injury, like every mm. freaking wave, right? Um, and then I started learning about uh, overpressurization TBI, oh, right? It's going to be great. And so I don't know what the threshold is for that, but it's something close to the one point around geez, right? Well, if, if, you're, if you're in a concrete room with three M4s, like every round that comes out is 30 Gs. If you're shooting a Carl Damn. Gustav, the, mm-hmm. the 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 shooter gets 200 Gs. The spotter gets like 300 Gs. <laughs> uh, you know the uh, you know hard parachute openings are two to three Gs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in the back of a Humvee with a 50 cal going is like 60 Gs with every every round. You know, so I'm like, well, I don't have a guy who doesn't have thousands of TBIs, and this has now been proven. Um, and if you know Larkin, Frank Larkin, mm-hmm. you know his son yeah. suicided, yeah, and he had his brain analyzed. And so when you look at, if you you look at fighters and you look at NFLs, um, NFL guys, they have the, the CTE, right? You mm-hmm. heard of that? And it's like specific regions of the brain that shows some specific abnormalities. What happens in the and the overpressurization is like that pressure wave goes through your skull, right? It goes right through your skull. Mm-hmm. And then they have it on photography now, like, um, I guess it's what, a lot of frames per second or mm-hmm. so, uh, 60 f- frames per second or something. I can slow that down and get really resolute with it. So as the, as the wave comes by, it's just like any other wave. It's moving, it's having impact on the material that's going through. Well, the different densities move at different rates. So the lining of your brain, the dura, that moves at a different rate than the vasculature, and that moves at a different rate than the white matter, and that moves at a different rate than the gray matter, and that moves at a different rate than the little vesicles that hold the cerebral spinal fluid. So just put it in a blender. So you just shear everything. And we have, and when you do autopsies on our guys who suicided, their entire brain is covered with these tau proteins, like the, these markers for damage at every interface. So where where the vasculature meets the brain, where the dura meets the brain, where the white matter meets the gray matter, where the gray matter reach, meets the cerebrospinal fluid, the entire brain. And we don't know what to do about that. Now there's peptides out that we know help. That's gonna be the next, that's the next frontier of medicine, I believe. And that's where I'm spending a lot of my time uh, with our guys now. Hyperbarics helps, for sure. Um, hormones obviously help. So, you know, that that's, you know that that's what that's what our guys need, but this needs to be done proactively because you think about it like over time, the equipment just keeps getting more and more dynamic. Mm-hmm. 
the people inside the equipment are the same, right? We're the fragile bit now. And there's gotta be like, it's different for different people. You know, I always bring up George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. Like George Foreman right, right now, he's up there, you know, he's totally good to go. Right. Um, and I, I've known a lot of fighters and some fighters are just like, they're fine. Right. And some guys are not, clearly. And it's right. the same thing with football. Like you meet guys that played football their whole life and then they went out and they're doing to- totally normal things and other guys get totally messed up from football. So there's gotta be some genetic component to it as well, right? Yeah, there's there's genetic variation to everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know why anybody's surprised by this, right? It's like, um, you know, we'd like to say that all, all men are created equal. It's not true. This is like not true. every people aren't equal and some people have aptitudes that other people don't have. Um, you know, it's like this, uh, this, this misnomer of the super sleeper, right? If you have this gene combination, mm-hmm. then you don't need as much sleep. Mm-hmm. It's not true. You know, what, what's true is that you don't suffer as much as most people when you don't sleep, mm-hmm. right? When you short, when you short sleep, you don't have the same problems as the average Joe. Now there's somebody on the other side of that spectrum too, that you take a few hours of sleep away and they're completely incapacitated. These are people who don't make it through hell week. These yeah, are people who don't yeah. make it into our community. I've always, well, you know, people always talk about my sleep and I, the genetic component I talk about because like my oldest daughter, I would be going to bed at 11 o'clock at night when she was in high school and she'd be up studying. Yeah. And I'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning and she'd be up studying. Wow. And And so she was just kind of like me, right? She didn't need a ton of sleep. My wife, like, this girl's going to bed. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. She's going to bed and, like, she'll be up later. Right, right. <laughs> my my middle daughter, if there's not an emergency going on, she's in, she's, She's gonna get out of bed when she feels like it. Like yeah. there's, there's not major emergency going on. My son's kind of like uh, he can he can deal without sleep pretty well. And then my youngest daughter, is like my wife. So it seems to me like, and you know, we all live in the same house. And right. There's like half of us get up early and are going to do something. The other half are yeah. still in bed, and that's yeah. the way it is every day. And it's not because I treated them any differently. Yeah. I wanted them all to get up early, and some of them just it's not part of their gig. Right. Uh, uh, it's not part of my wife's gig either. People, people say to me like, oh, "How do you get up in the morning like without waking up your wife?" My wife ain't waking up <laughs> <laughs> unless I start firing weapons in the bedroom. Like yeah. I'm good to go. That yeah. girl is she's out and she's in her own little la la land, which is yeah. awesome. So. It seems like there is a, some level of genetic component to it where, and you know, this even happened in the teams. Like I would, I definitely a hundred percent, like I wouldn't need to sleep with at all. And guys would be like, Hey, I need to go down. And I'd be like, cool. Yeah. Go to sleep. And I, I could go for a really long time without, you know, on very little sleep. And I've always been like that. Right. Uh, and so there's, there's gotta be some level of like, and I'm not claiming to be like, Oh, I have some genetic gift, but there's something where it's like, Oh, I can get by a little bit less, you know? We we can test your genetics and see if you're one yeah. of the super sleepers. I I I wouldn't be surprised if I was, I, and I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if I wasn't. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I, it, it's super rare. It's like yeah. the everybody wants to put themselves in that category and be like, well, I'm just a right. And I'm not saying that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this is you, but um, well, I just kind of did that, so but, I guess I'm guilty. But no, but, I actually don't think I really am. Yeah, I don't think I really am. I think I. I think you know. I, 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 I think I, the odds of being that is something like being struck by lightning yeah. while being attacked by a shark, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's super, yeah. super rare. But I, I go to but, sleep. But think it. about it like anything else. Like, how much do you suffer from a ruck? Like, you know, you're going to go do a whatever, 10, 20-mile ruck. Like, how mm. much are you going to suffer? Does everybody suffer the same? Yeah. No. Yeah. Right? How much weight can you lift? The same as everybody else? Like, if you train the same? Like, if you, like, 
Yeah, how many? How fast can you read? How much do you retain? Like every, everybody's different in everything. How much sleep do people need? Eight hours. So like I, if if I go to sleep, I can't sleep eight hours. Like I yeah. will not sleep eight hours, and not because of how anything. much do you sleep. I go to bed at ten thirty, wake up at four thirty. Like that's kind of normal. Seven hours. Six hours. Six hours. Six, six, hours. Hours. six yeah. hours. Yeah. And sometimes I go to bed at ten. You know, like yeah. there's six and a half hours. But you know, if I'm, uh, it's hard for me to sleep. Like I'll I'll be in some situation where you know whatever I'm go. I, my wife and I go stay somewhere, whatever. And we have we there's you know no uh, what is it? Um, there's nothing to do. Right. We're on right. vacation for lack of a better word. Echo Charles. We're yes, cruising. Yeah. We're cruising. Yeah. And like I'll, I'll go to bed and it's so annoying because. You know, like wh- like then I'm awake. We're in some random place, and my wife's gonna sleep for more four more hours right now. Right, you know, and right, I'm like right. walking around in circles doing burpees in my room. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. You know what? You know what else was an interesting sleep experiment? The ARG. Did you ever do an ARG platoon? No. So ARG I, platoon, I, narr- I narrowly avoided one. You go out on a ship, yeah. and when you're out on a ship, you have no job. As a seal, you have no job, right. and you're in this weird compartment where it's just dark. If you, yeah. you know, guys, and we had guys. I had a guy in, in one of my platoons. Um, he would sleep for days, yeah. I, I, like seriously. And and he was also a guy that probably had some kind of a sleep disorder because he would fall asleep on patrol. Like we'd we'd be patrolling, and you know take a ten minute break. You know patrol for fifty minutes, break for ten, patrol for fifty minutes, yeah. break for ten. We'd be doing a hump across the desert. We'd we'd sit down. Was he an older guy? No, no, no. Um, I'll, he he lives in Texas. I'll introduce you to him. But he uh, we'd we'd like take a break, and you know you're like freaking. Sword, you're humping through the desert, you're thirsty, yeah. and all those, you, three minutes in the break, you'd hear like, <laughs> and he'd be snoring. He'd be like, oh, God. yeah. But I, he would I go on the ship. He would go on the ship. He, sometimes he slept for like actual, like like eighteen hours, you yeah. know. Yeah. And then he'd get up looking all groggy. And so on the ship, you could sleep as much as you possibly could want. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to do. <laughs> like sub-ops. Yeah, sub-ops the same way. Yeah, same way. Even if you're the most like highly disciplined person and you're trying to complete your degree and you're learning to play guitar and you're working out, you still have like an extra 17 hours <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. But even on the ARG, it was like, I could sleep, but I, and I, I didn't really think about sleep too much, but I like, you, I'd go to sleep and then just wake up like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever. Something. Yeah, th- I mean, there's several genes for that. I'd, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if you have some of them. I, I'm I'm a guy who can get away with it without much mm-hmm. sleep as well. Um, it's not as true now. It's not as true now. Like mm-hmm. the older you get, the harder it is. Bro, but my my but freaking also, old neighbor Vietnam dude. This this dude, like, I'd wake up in the morning. He'd be sitting out on his porch. Yeah. He he's like yeah, I don't sleep I don't yeah. need to sleep I'm watching the neighborhood he'd tell yeah. me I'd be like right on man yeah yeah I mean it it's there's there's variation like when when I was in I mean obviously the whole time I was in college and the whole time I was in medical school like cause I had a married I have kids mm-hmm. you know and like I'm coming home from medical school I'm like making dinner for my kids you know mm-hmm. giving them baths or eating them to sleep Just like sleep all, deprivation like and I'm sleeping five hours a night on a mm-hmm. good night for 10 years now though part of its age but part of its and it wasn't until i figured this out for the team guys that i said well maybe i should apply this shit to myself right so yeah. i started sleeping more and now i now i'm really bad at functioning without sleep like uh-huh. i got used to it um and yeah. i think you kind of the, I mean, the the thing about sleep like one of the things that makes and then obviously I don't just do sleep, but sleep's a big component of what I do. Um, 
just because it's the most important factor of your health. Um, if I do my job, well, first of all, the sales pitch sucks because what is sleep good for? Everything. Like, what's the worst thing you can say in marketing? Like, it fixes anything. Like, every you're better at everything when you sleep well. You're smarter. You're faster. You're stronger. You're smarter. Uh, you're better looking. Like everything. Everything's better. Lower stress hormones, higher anabolic hormones, better appetite regulation. Everything's better when you sleep. And so that's a terrible sales pitch. Now, the other thing is like, if I do my job really well and you sleep amazingly well, you won't remember it at all. Mm. And I'm like, no, trust me, it was great for you. And like, mm, you know, now at least you have wearables and you have people tracking their sleep and something like there's some, you know, there, there's something to make it a little easier for me in that, in that respect. But um, like th- there's, I mean, there's no question that's the most important aspect of your life. And the big problem, the other big problem with sleep is that when you, so like the whole point of me going to sleep tonight is to repair everything that I did to myself today, mm-hmm. right? Everything that I, every fuel source I exhausted that needs to be replenished or any damage I've done that needs to be fixed. And then I need to you know, store things and organize things and set hormone r- regulation for tomorrow. So I'm repairing from today and preparing for tomorrow. Well, it takes eight hours to recover from 16 hours. Vast majority of the time, let's say 95% of people on the planet are that way. 98% of the people maybe are that way. If I only sleep six hours instead of eight hours, tomorrow still comes, right? If I didn't repair and prepare 100%, how do I do tomorrow, right? Where am I going to get the energy from? Well, I'm going to get that from stress hormones. That's going to increase, and stress hormones are catabolic. If you think about it, if I went to sleep and I could repair 100%, and prepare 100% for tomorrow, I would never age, mm-hmm. right? I'd be exactly the same every day. Right. I'd wake up exactly the same every day. There would be no aging involved. The fact that I can't is the reason I age. Mm-hmm. If I decide to cut away 25% of my sleep on purpose, I'm choosing to age 25% faster if I'm somebody who's capable of sleeping eight hours, mm-hmm. right? And like you said, like not everybody is. And some of that's learned, some of that's Yeah, I might, I might just be like ha- habitually. Right. Um, and like I, I had a 80, well, she was in her late 70s at the time, a client like probably 10 years ago. And she's like, I haven't slept more than four hours in 20 years. And I was like, that's not good for you. Yeah, that's not good for you. So I get her, like, just sleep hygiene, just my sleep supplement, no drugs, no hormones, no, like, just, like, nutritional supplements and sleep hygiene, ritual around mm-hmm. sleep. Started sleeping eight hours a night. As far as I know, she still is. You know, I haven't talked to her in a few years. But. And she feel better? She just feel like she's wasting oh. half, one quarter of her day? No. She, <laughs> she, she, so so, so here, here this, this is true about everything I do. So everything performance-based. So I get people to sleep. I get people to eat right. I get people to exercise right. I get people to control their stress. I get their hormones in order. I get their inflammation down with peptides or whatever. Um, and they come to me and they're like, oh, my God. I didn't realize how bad I was until yeah. I felt good. And that's like a month into her. And then another month later, oh, no, no. Now I feel like I used yeah. to feel like now. And then three, so it takes like three or four months of like really good behavior to realize how much you've lost. Because our awareness, like I said, our awareness of sleep isn't there. That's the whole idea of it, right? We're not paying attention to that. Um, but our self-awareness of how impaired we are, just like a drunk person. And the research has been done over and over again. I deprive you of this much sleep. I give you this many alcohol drinks, your blood alcohol level is this, 
you haven't slept this much, same thing, like correlates exactly. I, I, that, I, I just like, that's so hard for me to no, understand. It, because it, it does plateau. I like, the, here's an example of this. So we do an event at Echelon Front called The Muster and it's a big event. And when we first started doing it, the, the, I'll talk about the second one that we did was in New York City. It's, you know, there's 900 people coming. There's all this stuff to get done. There's, and so long story short, we, we behind the scenes, we weren't as squared away as we should have been. So we had a bunch of stuff to do, preparing these big briefs, these slides to get ready, and we had to do all this stuff. And so Leif, who's doing it with me, I think it was like 1.30 in the morning, and we're, the, the, the events the next day, it's 1.30 in the morning, we're signing 900 uh, certificates of graduation. We're gonna wake up at 3.30 to go do PT. So we're on stage, I mean, I'm on stage with two hours of sleep. Yeah, and I'm answering questions. I'm giving presentations, and that day is like starts at. We get up at three thirty. We PT. We go four thirty. The group comes in PTs. We go. We get up on stage. We do all day. Same thing the next day. The next day we got other stuff we got to do. We get no sleep. And like, and bro, I mean, we're we're on operations. We used to like going on an operation, especially in Ramadi. You're planning. You're planning. 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 Right. Uh, and I'm saying, especially in Ramadi for me, because we would plan with the army, we gotta go check in, we've got Iraqis, we've got all this stuff going on. By the time we go in the field, we haven't slept. Right. I remember being so happy to go in the field because I can finally sleep yeah. for like three hours. Yeah, under and, under a bush on rocks and cactus. Yeah, and, and so great, yeah. I never, and look, I mean, I've been drunk before. Right. And I wouldn't wanna, I wouldn't trust myself to like get up on stage. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, if I had, if I had, I think I could probably have four drinks and still like present at the muster. It'd be a little bit extra. Yeah. But if you got me to like six drinks, it'd be a different event, right? right. And it right. wouldn't be good. Right. Uh, so that's a little bit. Is so it, is that some a, kind a, of an exaggeration? Acute, acutely, you can compensate, right? So if you think about. Um, <clears throat> So, you know, you have the autonomic nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. You have the parasympathetic and sympathetic. And, and the maximal sympathetic output we call fight or flight, mm -hmm. right? So when you get up into fight or flight, what happens? You become superhuman, right? Your pupils dilate. Mm -hmm. You start taking in a bigger field of vision, right? Your lungs expand. You start taking in more oxygen. Your blood pressure goes up. Your peripheral perfusion goes down so if you get cut you don't bleed to death you know your reflexes get faster you release a bunch of glucose you have more endurance more strength faster mm -hmm. reflexes you're like you're superhuman you feel you don't feel amazing because you're scared right mm -hmm. but you feel alive and ready right yep. and you're like so like you can react to everything faster why don't you run around like that all the time because it's catabolic. You're using yourself as the fuel source to get away from the danger because it doesn't matter if so you So that's what I do in those events. Yeah, so or it doesn't matter if you can digest your food. It doesn't matter if you can fight off infection. It doesn't matter because like you need to get away from this threat yeah. before any of that matters. So you're gonna marshal 100% of your resources into that. So that's what you're doing. You're just, digging into the well or whatever. You're, yeah, you're digging in. Now, if you recover from that, yeah. and believe it's not me, a, like, not a big deal. Like we have gone through great lengths, like now, at the muster, it's everything is just so well oiled. Right. I mean, we're going to bed at like you know nine o'clock at night. We joke about it. We're like, all right, eight thirty. I'm getting ready to go to yeah. bed. Like we 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 love that. You know, it's this 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 is to support what you're talking about. I know this a hundred percent. If I don't get, I actually when I'm going to a, a, an event, like if I'm going to speak, I 
sleep a little bit less because it makes me more engaged Mm -hmm. with what's happening, even more emotional. Like I will be more emotionally engaged if I'm super well rested. I'm just kind of like, cool, like everything's everything's good. and and I'll tell you another thing that well you already mentioned it like when I'm if I'm eating like crap yeah bro my sleep it's a I feel like crap right but the sleep is crap and that's a disaster the other thing is when you talk about stress I mean I don't stress about a lot like even like and I think it's getting you know you get used to in the teams like what what you know I wrote about it in this book like what, what you got to know what to worry about what's important and what's not important and for me the 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 list of things that are important is this list that has like four things on it. It's like, right. is your fam, is my family healthy? Right. Right, like, okay, like that's something I, but hey, they're healthy, so I'm not stressed about that. I can't, like there's nothing else in the stress box that I'm really, like, because if, you know, what's going on? Oh, I, uh, this product's coming out. Okay, well, what if the product fails? Okay, then we'll do then something, do something else. else. Yeah, like, I, I, so I think I'm pretty good with the, keeping myself out of the stress zone Eating good. Mm. Um, when I eat like crap, I feel like crap. Mm. Uh, n- look, and pizza's a, you know, you gotta look at some pizza, like whoever invented that. Like, mm-hmm. what an evil bastard and chocolate chip cookies all in the So, like, you get that, but. Um, I'm lucky I don't, I don't like pizza. <laughs> Never have, man. <laughs> I didn't like it until I was like 10. But, like, my wife, man, she made this. She, my wife is the best prime rib, prime rib in the world. Like, yeah. it's, it's the world class prime rib. And somehow she triple ordered or something over Thanksgiving because we we eat prime rib for Thanksgiving. But she we thought we were having people. People didn't show up. Blah blah blah. So we had just massive hunks of prime rib. Yeah. And probably I did like almost a carnivore thing yeah. for like four or five days, and then and then she cooked another one. And man, I felt so good, bro. Yeah. Just eating like one big slab of prime rib a day. Yeah. And I just was like, mm. so good diet. And then the sleep works out, and the and um. so so ev- everything matters, right? Yeah. Everything matters. You you and I are very similar in that I don't stress over anything yeah. either. And by and large, I think it's because I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't remember all the stuff I have to do. If I rem- if I could remember all of it, I'd be I might be stressed. But you know, stress hormones get a bad rap because everybody thinks of that as negative. Mm. It's not negative, right? Mm. With no stress hormones, you die, right? Like, <laughs> stress hormones keep you alert in proportion to your environment. So if you're doing something that's really intense, you yeah. want to be able to stress, right? You want stress hormones because that's got adrenaline, noradrenaline in it, right? There. That's amping you up, making you feel good. That cortisol is helping us releasing blood glucose and stuff like it, you know, stored glycogen mm-hmm. into into blood glucose. So it's making you feel better. It's making you sharper, right? Like there's some things that's making you sharper. Now it does impair the prefrontal cortex a bit, which is like your executive functioning. Mm-hmm. Your um, so you don't want them to be too high because like you think about you know if you're in a fist fight, can you remember your phone number? Like mm-hmm. probably not, right? Because like your prefrontal cortex that ain't working. Like you're not going to be planning your next trip or something while you're while you're in something stressful. Um, so uh, that you know that's one factor. Now another factor is if you sleep really well and if you don't stress a lot during the day, even if you short sleep, it's it's not as big of a deal, right? Because the quality of sleep is keeping your stress hormones lower. Like the lowest your stress hormones ever are is when you're in deep sleep. And of course, they peak somewhere in the afternoon. Like I've heard 11 to one, one to three. Like I, I, it seems to be somewhere around noon to one in most of the people I, I test. Um, you know, that as, as 
you know, it, as that peak goes up, people are feeling more and more alert. Their body temperature is going up. There's all sorts of like good physiological things going on, but people feel better under more stress hormones. Now you can go excessive and it mm-hmm. becomes, it becomes negative. But just the fact that you're not somebody who stresses a lot, like one of the, one of the biggest things I do and, um, and I, I can, I can put out a link for your, if, if anyone in your audience wants to, wants to check this out. Um, it, it's like a, it, it's a PDF on my website, but I can like do a lander for, we'll do duck parsley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jocko.com. Yeah. Forward slash Jocko or something like when and we'll, do, uh, but people can download this. The most, the most powerful thing I do is seems ridiculous. Have people take a piece of notebook paper and like draw a line straight down the middle. And it's like on the left side, you're right to do on the right side. It's to worry. So to do list is as far out as you're likely to worry about, right? Like, like me, I, I'm kind of, I never really got out of buds. I'm kind of like one evolution at a time. Like maybe I'll plan two or three days ahead. Like I don't, I'm not a, I'm not somebody who's going to be worried about something a month down the road, but some people are. So as far out as you're to do, to worry is shit you don't have any control over, but you know you're going to worry about it and you don't want to forget to have the opportunity to worry about it. So you put that on the list. And then, you know, there's some other stuff about setting alarms and getting ready and all this stuff. But the big thing is when, when you go to sleep, you realize, like, so you, first I have to convince you of this, you have to convince yourself of this, that the best you're ever going to be at handling that list is after you slept well, mm-hmm. right? Your exercise is good, your nutrition's good, you're controlling your daily stress. The best you're ever going to be is after you fully wake up, mm-hmm. right? So maybe an hour after you wake up, after a good night's sleep. So there's no sense in thinking about anything on that list while you're asleep. Right, because you're interfering with your goal of being God. the best you tomorrow. So now, from the time you go to bed till the time that alarm clock goes off in the morning, you don't ever know what time it is, because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna lay in bed and you're gonna like meditate and breathe and relax if you're not asleep. And then you're gonna sleep when you sleep. And if you wake up, you just lay there and meditate, breathe and relax, or like whatever. If your alarm's not gonna go off for four hours, you'll fall back asleep. If your alarm goes off thirty minutes later, all right, you got seven and a half hours of sleep and thirty minutes of meditation. Sweet. Get after it. Go. Right, so you you kind of have that built in naturally, and and I think a lot of team guys do because you you go through some really stressful shit yeah, just, relative to like you get out in yeah. the entrepreneur world. It's like yeah, it's kind of stressful, but like if I fail, I can just start something else. You know, <laughs> like something collapses. Like I, it's not really that. Not, I mean, I'm not getting shot at. I'm not cold. I'm not wet. You know, um, it, it's it's just a, a different scene. So um, I think. That's that's why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Now the other thing too to remember though is like if somebody goes out for a drink, right? They meet their buddies at a bar. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop by, chat for a little bit, and take off. So I'm just going to have one drink because I want to drive drunk, right? I want to be impaired. And then somehow they end up having two. I'm like, well, maybe I'll have another. And then by like the fourth drink, they're like, I'm fine. I can drive home. Like, where did that decision-making shift? Mm-hmm. At some point, you lost awareness of your impairment. You became more impaired, and you lost your ability to recognize that you're impaired. Mm-hmm. Sleep deprivation is the same way. So you wake up, and you're just like, I, I feel good, because the stress hormones are making you feel good, right? You're impaired, though. Like, we just know. Like, you, mm-hmm. it's unavoidable. It's just like putting alcohol in your blood, putting, you know, putting stress hormones in your brain, make your prefrontal cortex not as active now there's a 
there's a there's a little bump where it's actually better, right? Because you're adrenalized. Mm-hmm. You can't do everything better, but there's some advantages to certain as to certain behaviors. But then it goes too high, and it's like it's really impaired, right? Like you think about somebody who's super anxious. Are they good at anything? Yeah, it's a bummer. No, they they can't be good at anything because their prefrontal cortex is impaired. That's what it, that's what anxiety really is. You don't trust yourself. You don't trust yourself to make a decision because you know you have a bad track record of making good decisions or mm-hmm. something, and so you don't trust your ability to do it. And now that stresses you out even more. And so it can be a really a death spiral for a lot of people because, um, like I said, if you don't get enough sleep. Then you wake up the next day with more stress hormones. Well, the absence of stress hormones is what allows you to fall asleep. So if you're running around with 20% more stress hormones than you need, now when you try to go to sleep, you're 20% higher than you should be, and it might not be low enough to fall asleep. And the other thing is your stress hormones are what's waking you up in the morning, and cortisol is waking you up. So if you're running 20% higher than you should be running, then your sort of your genetic background would have you running at. Well. Now you're going to wake up when you hit that same level that you maybe would have hit an hour later if you didn't have this excess stress hormones. Hmm. Let's talk sleep protocol for optimal sleep protocol. So um, like I I was talking about earlier, you just think think about humans 200 years ago, right? Or maybe go back, say, a thousand years. Hunter gatherers, mm-hmm. right? Um, we aren't. We don't see well at night. We're we're crappy predators, anyways, right? Without weapons, we're useless, right? We couldn't fight a raccoon, right? We're um, so we don't see well at night. The sun goes down. The blue light um, leaves our eyes. We have nerves in our eyes that sense blue light. They have nothing to do with vision. And then that triggers the changes in our brain, which leads to the melatonin being secreted in the melatonin then changes a lot of things. But one of the big things that happens increases this neuropeptide GABA, which slows down our brain. We quit interacting with the world as much and our body temperature goes down because the sun went down, right? So it's dark, we can't see, we back up into a corner to be safe because we're prey a thousand years ago. Like maybe we get in a cave, whatever, and we make a fire, and now you really can't see, right? Can't see past the fire. So your world gets secluded. You're not interacting. You're not jumping around. You're not climbing. You're not lifting. You're not, right, maybe telling some stories, whatever. And then about three hours after the sun goes down, you feel like sleeping, and you lay down, and you sleep, and your body temperature keeps going down. Your stress hormones keep going down. At some point, all that you know, starts coming back up. Your body temperature kind of hits a maximum low, and then it starts, and it kind of fires survival response and you start building things back up and your cortisol comes back up and you wake up right around the time the sun's coming up you don't wake up because of the sun you're just coincidental right like uh because that's how you're wired like every animal every mammal on this planet uses the sun as its cue when to be awake and when to be asleep so that's how our ancestors did it the closest you can get to that right that's what sleep hygiene is right everything you read about sleep hygiene is that right so blacking out your windows yeah, because you don't, one, you don't want the light. Two, you don't want to know what time it is when you wake up, right? Turning down the temperature of your house, taking a shower, taking a cold shower. Like, you know, when, so you think about what do you do with a little kid, right? You, you have a three, four year old kid bashing trucks together, banging drums, whatever. You don't just 
throw that kid in a bed and turn the light off and walk out. They need a ritual. They need time to get ready to go to sleep. We study hunter-gatherers today. Like there's still like thirty thousand people who've never experienced electric, never experienced electricity. They still live like our ancestors lived. They go out, they hunt food, hunt and gather food for two hours a day. The rest of the day, they're fucking off having sex, playing around, whatever. Like they're the original aristocrats, right? Like, that, like that's where we would be if we stayed in that lifestyle. Um, so, like you, you take your kid, and what do you do? It's like it's time for quiet play, right? Like put that mm-hmm. stuff away. And we're gonna do puzzles or you know, whatever. We're gonna do something more today. We're gonna kind of dim the lights and that stuff, right? And then we give them a bath. Why? We're gonna lower their body temperature, right? Because you're not gonna give them a 98 degree bath. Give them like an 80 degree bath, 85 degree bath. Then they get out and you powder them up and you put them in really soft clothing. Right? Okay, so you're not stimulating their skin. And then you put them in bed you know, make everything soft and comfortable and warm and cozy. And then you read them a book that they already know, right? They can think about something like Dr. Seuss, like trance inducing rhythmic rhyming like this. You know, I do not like, right. And so the, the kids already know what the story, and that's why they want to read that book. It's like, they want to be settled down and you want to distract yourself. So you can overcome any of that. Right, you can overcome any of those systems. Um, now you're still you're still going to secrete melatonin, but you can you can get past the GABA the GABAergic slowdown of the brain. Right, so if you've ever had an you know, experience where you're, like you wake up and you're super tired, you didn't get enough sleep, you were you're regretting whatever you did last night because you didn't get enough sleep, and so now you're like, well, man, I'm just going to go to work today. Like I'm going to do what I have to do today. And then I'm going to come home and go to bed like six o'clock and I'm going to sleep for like 10 hours and feel great tomorrow. And then one of your friends talk to you and they're like, go and have a beer. Yeah. And then that's a CNS depression. It should make you more tired. Right. And you start drinking beer and like there's attractive women around, there's music going, there's lights. So there's whatever. And like you all of a sudden feel really good. Energized. You don't, you don't need to go to sleep anymore. And like, and then you stay up till midnight that night. Now you, you know, you're sucking again the next day. So, um, so you can you can work yourself past it. So, just blocking the light, say like whatever you wear, blue blocking glasses, you dim your lights. You have light bulbs in your house that don't have any blue lights. Um, like that, all that's available. You're blacking everything out. Maybe you're living by candlelight after you know whatever, and you're getting spending three hours getting ready for bed, but you're at your computer working on some tight deadline for something for work that's stressful. And you're going to work till 9.59 and go get in bed at 10? No, that's not going to work, bro. So you got to, you got to, you have to do something to approximate the loss of light in your eyes. You have to do something to slow your brain down to where you're not paying as much much uh, attention to your environment. And you have to drop your body temperature. That, I mean, that's what it is. So that, that PDF I was telling you about, that's really for people who have problems falling asleep problems going back to sleep when they wake up um and so i i have those people set an alarm clock like an hour before bed and this this is a generally a good idea but like anything else if you have problems be super like be fastidious and with this and like be exact and be you know very regimented and then once you get healthy sleep back just like once you get fit, you don't have to do everything that you had to do to get in good shape. Like you just generally adhere to those principles. So like, uh, but when you're having problems, like set an alarm clock an hour before it's time to go to bed. 
and then you spend at least that hour getting ready for bed, right? Even if ideally you'd be dimming the lights in your eyes three hours before bed, but there's ideal and there's reality. Right? We'll take an hour. Yeah, and so, okay, so do that. Once you get in bed, you have your list, right? You've convinced yourself that the best time to handle that list is after you get a good night's sleep. You get in bed, you have no awareness of the time until that morning alarm clock goes off, whether you need an alarm clock or not, right? Because if you don't have the alarm clock, that's something to worry about. Oh, uh, here's a, a Jocko admission. If I don't have an alarm clock, and there's any, like if I have to be at work or yeah. I have to do something, and I don't have an alarm clock, I literally will not sleep. Yeah, I will just sit there and like, you know. Hey, when I first started traveling and lecturing a lot, I was petrified. Yeah. I was gonna oversleep and like not make it to some lecture. So even with a couple of alarms set on my phone, yeah, wake up I kept like, like every every noise. I'm like waking up. Did my alarm go off? Or, okay, so yeah, right. Yeah. And like uh, it, that's the thing. So I say, hey, you have a morning alarm clock, even if you think you don't need it, because that's one thing you're not going to worry about. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna the last time you're gonna see your clock is when you get in bed, and until that alarm clock goes off, it doesn't matter because you've already made yourself the agreement that I'm going to be resting, relaxing, meditating, doing breath work whatever or i'm going to be sleeping for the next eight hours um, that's it i'm so not doing anything else and if something if something on something pops in my mind i go that's on the list i'm going to handle that list in the morning when i'm feeling good right when i'm prepared now if there's something that's not on the list give my permission to turn the light on and write it down now it's on the list right and then you, you just lay in bed you breathe when you wake up, you don't know what time it is. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, get back in bed. You don't know what time it is. So I have uh, like a little LED red li- like clock by mm-hmm. my bed. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's not needed. It's not needed. In fact, it's it's counterproductive. Counterproductive because then I'm thinking about what time it is. You, as soon as you know, know, as really soon matter. as soon as you know what time it is, you're you have some decisions to make now, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, well, I start doing some mental math, right? I'm like. Well, I'm not feeling sleepy. It's only one thirty, and I so if I fall, if I can fall asleep in the next thirty minutes, right? And then you start mm-hmm. thinking about stuff like that, or well, my alarm's going to go off in forty-five minutes, anyways. I'm feeling kind of awake, and I'm like, I got this there, stuff to do, and I got that, so I might as well just right. And so it's better to just not know and go, hey, no, I'm going to, I want to be at my best tomorrow. Yeah. My best is when that alarm clock goes off. And like I said, I don't care how much meditation and breath work and relaxation you get relative to sleep. Do your do your best to get all of that asleep, but if you know an hour of that meditation and breath work and relaxation and progressive muscle relaxation, whatever you want to do, whatever kind of cools you out, whatever lowers your stress hormones, like I don't I don't care. It's like that's restorative. Like that's um, non sleeping rest has its benefits as well, mm-hmm. and it's helping with all of that stuff. And and as I'm sure you've heard at this point, um, you know, sleep regulates your appetite. Right, so how hungry I am tomorrow is going to be determined by how well I sleep today. Also, what I crave. The only animal on this planet that sleep deprives itself is us. Hmm. Other animals only do it if they're starving or they're being preyed upon. So if they're being stalked, they're only going to sleep the bare minimum. If they're starving, they're going to wake up earlier, go to sleep later, so they can travel further and find some food. So evolutionarily, it makes sense that we're wired the same way. So if we're not sleeping, our brain's like, oh, 
are we being stalked or are we starving? Which is it, right? And so I want to eat novel foods when I'm starving. So I'll eat anything, right? Like a green and brown, green and orange donut. Yeah, let's eat that, right? Um, also, if I'm starving, what do I want? I want sugar for my brain, like right now, as much glucose as my brain can get. This is my brain's working off of glucose, right? I don't have an option there. Uh, ketones can do some of it if you're really ketotic, but it's not, it's still majority uh, glucose. And then if I'm starving, what do I, I want to store some fat, so I better eat some fat too, right? So what, so what's a donut? Mm -hmm. It's fried sugar bread, right? And, and so like I get all the, I get the fat and I get all of the, you know, and I get all of the glucose in me. So not only is it regulating how hungry I'm going to be, but what am I going to crave? And then the worst part is that it determines what my body does with what I eat. Right, so I eat proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. Some of that's gonna be stored as fats, some of that's not gonna be absorbed at all, and it's gonna go out of waste, and some of that's gonna be used as energy. It depends on how well I've slept and how my hormones are balanced. And so, you know, one, one of the big jokes, especially on men, is that, you know, our, our, the fat that we think of as being fat, right, not the, not the fat around our organs and stuff, but like, or subcutaneous fat, that has a lot of aromatase in it, the enzyme that converts testosterone from estrogen. And your brain uses estrogen as the measurement of how much testosterone you have. So if your estrogen's really high, your brain's like, oh, that's coming from testosterone, so our testosterone must be really high too, so we don't need to make as much testosterone now. And now you get more fat, and more of your testosterone becomes estrogen, and like it's this self-defeating spiral. Like it just keeps getting worse. Like Now you're getting fatter getting because fatter. your hormones are low, but you're converting, like you have higher estrogen levels because more fat down, means downward spiral. Yeah, and so now you're, uh, and, you know, it's like, it's the same thing of having high stress hormones because you're not sleeping. Well, now you can't sleep because you have high stress hormones and now, you, now you're not gonna get to sleep, so tomorrow you're gonna have even more stress. And so you can't sleep because you have too much stress hormones and you have too much stress hormones because you can't sleep. Same thing with, Estrogen and then like testosterone gets converted. It's like, well, you're not making test as much testosterone because your estrogen levels are high, which leads to higher estrogen levels, which means lower testosterone level. And that's a self, you know, defeating, uh, self propagating downward spiral. And so, like all, um, all of the, all of that stuff's uh, non-negotiable, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's going to happen no matter how well you eat, no matter how well you control your stress and, and all that other stuff. So, um, and, and how much you exercise. And, and the other thing I tell people all the time, which is not popular at all, is that if you're sleep deprived, you shouldn't work out, right? Shouldn't exercise. <laughs> I mean, you should move, you should mm -hmm. do activity because there's benefit to that, but you shouldn't exercise with the intent of getting better at something, right? To get stronger or faster, or more coordinatedly. Because like I said, like all that's happening when you're asleep, all of that's all of that repair and actually getting better at anything is happening while you're asleep. I'm just gonna plead the fifth over here. On this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was I was gonna ask you that, and I was like, I pretty much know what your answer's gonna be because there's people that have to make that decision. Like, am I better off tomorrow? Okay, I know I got to be at work by mm -hmm. eight. I know I, it's a late night. It's one o'clock in the morning. My kid was awake, or whatever. It's midnight. My kid was awake. Do I get up and do the do the workout? Yeah. Or do I get an extra hour of sleep? Which is better? And yours is like sleep all day. Sleep is the is the answer. 
to an extent, like if sleep is going to prevent you from doing anything, any type of activity, then I, you know, find a happy medium on that. Mm -hmm. Like go every other day or split it in half or something like that. Cause you need the activity. There's a, there's a lot of benefits and, and by activity, I mean, <clears throat> you know, whatever going on a walk, doing like some zone two type of cardio, doing some movement. Like you could do like whatever you could do, like movement drills or something like that. But like I wouldn't recommend rolling with somebody intensely and, you know, um, and not doing skill work, like actually fighting. Like I wouldn't do that if I'm sleep deprived. One, you're way more likely to get injured mm -hmm. as well. Like there's a, there's a very, very clear correlation between how many hours you sleep and your risk of injury. Um, and it's, and it's, it's huge. It's yeah. substantial. It's the, um, the difference, it was a study done in high school students the difference between uh, five hours, no, six hours of sleep and nine hours of sleep was like a 300% difference, right? So you're... Of getting injured. Of getting injured. Well, the dudes are spending three more hours in bed every day. Of course they ain't getting <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, well, he's getting injured in their sport. So like while they're, while they're doing their sport. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to get our sleep. That's the... Uh, so here, here's something that, that's really interesting for your guys, for your, um, when you're working with fighters, right? So... You know, let's say I'm a great grappler and I'm going against a striker and I want to, like, I have a camp and I'm like, whatever, eight weeks to get, improve my boxing mm -hmm. or whatever my striking is. And so, <clears throat> it, it, so if, if, if I wanted to teach you something and I said, it's something you want to do, right? So I'm going to teach you how to tap, type with your left hand or something or play an instrument or something like that. And I say, hey, come in for an hour of training in the morning. Okay, and at the end of that hour, we see where you're at. We see where your skill level is. And then once you come back at seven o'clock tonight, I'm gonna to retest you. When you come back at seven, you're gonna be worse than you left training. If you go home and you go to sleep and you come back and test, you're gonna be better than you left training because you're actually learning when you sleep. Interestingly, if I say, I'm gonna teach you something this morning, I want you to take a nap today and then come back and test at seven, you'll come back and test better than you left your training. And then when you go home and go to sleep, you're going to get better again. So if somebody could break their day and like have a midday nap, they could essentially get two days worth of training in a day. Uh, all fighters are doing that all the time. Yeah. I mean, like fight, that's what fighters do. Yeah. They're like, come train, go home, sleep, come right. train, go home, sleep, right. come train, go home and sleep for the right. night. Yeah. yeah. That's like, awesome. and that's, and that's like uh, two days in football mm -hmm. too, right? Like a huge, huge skill bump during those two weeks because all you're doing is sleeping and practicing. Like, that's it. It's like, it just seems like one long day. You're <laughs> just like, I don't know. I slept, woke up, and went, went, went to practice. And slept and woke up and went to practice. Because like, we would, like, you know, because so damn hot where we were, like, you know, 115 degrees in the summer. So, like, midday, they, you know, sent us home. You go yeah. eat. You fall asleep for two hours or whatever. And then you go back to practice. And, but, like, they weren't doing it for that reason. But, you know, yeah, a lot of things that once you know, once you start learning the physiology of things, a lot of things become obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, the sleep deprivation in boot camp, the sleep deprivation, like hell week in buds. That's a strategy. Like mm -hmm. we're one, we're seeing how well you deal with it because that matters. But two, we're also looking for psychiatric disease, right? Because sleep deprivation, you know can things come to the surface yeah c can reveal that and we're in that age group where young men tend to have 
their psychotic break, if they're going to be schizophrenic or they're bipolar, or like that's going to be revealed like in their teen to mid twenties kind of thing. So let's just make it happen. It's also a brainwashing thing. Like when yeah. they brainwash yeah, anyone the, that gets brainwashed is sleep deprivation. Is, yeah. You, is you, you're way more suggestible. Yeah. Um, because again, your prefrontal cortex isn't working, and you're, like you can't, and you don't have enough energy to like defend your thoughts. You're anymore. Like, Fine, that sounds like, you're just a good like idea. okay, <laughs> whatever. Pass me the Kool Aid. <laughs> Pass me the Kool Aid. China's great. America sucks. Yes, give me another donut. <laughs> oh man, awesome. Um, what else, man? Do we does that get us caught up to the current day? Other than where to where do people find you? Yeah, uh, docparsley.com. Yeah. You got docparsley.com. Yeah. You're on Instagram, Kirk Parsley. I'm on, I'm on Instagram, yeah. At Kirk Parsley. Yeah, at Kirk Parsley. And you say you're back on Twitter. I think we were talking about Yeah. So you're I, back on Twitter. Yeah, I got, rein, I got reinstated. Parsley. Yeah, I got reinstated. Because you got shut down. You got, you got, um. Yeah, I was, I was like, I was like publishing or, or I was like sharing, you know, published research about. About what? COVID? COVID. And you got shut down. Mask, you know, social distancing, like whatever. When uh, my Instagram account, I started really with doing a bunch of videos on COVID because it was such such bullshit at the beginning. I was just like, oh, you, like everybody knows this too. It's not, I'm not brilliant. It's like everybody with any kind of basic biology understands that natural immunity is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's better than a vaccine. Everybody knows that always. That's always been true. We acted like it didn't even exist. So like I'm pointing that out you know cnn has their death tracker rolling at the bottom of the screen every day i'm like if you did that with car wrecks no one would drive cars either right because it's like and they never give the denominator like this many people died today how many people usually die right oh so it's only 20 more <laughs> right all right right so you um so i like i spoke out a bunch against it surprisingly i didn't get banned by instagram huh. uh but uh, well, Twitter, Twitter, I was just, yeah, I was just sharing some, I'd like share research and be like, you know, this suggests that that doesn't work or this suggests mm -hmm. that we're missing that, right? Um, and uh, just one day, nobody said anything, never got an email, just one day I just wasn't there. <laughs> and then I was like, huh, couldn't get on, it says you, you know, you've been banned or blocked, whatever the phrasing was. Um, and then, and I had about 10,000 followers or something and then all of a sudden they were gone, like zero, zero, zero. But all my posts were still there hmm. and I couldn't access any of my posts. So I couldn't do anything with them. Um, and then uh, it was after the announcement that that Elon was gonna buy Twitter, but it was before he actually bought it. And I just- Reappeared? All of a sudden, just reappeared. <sighs> I got a, I got an email that time. It's like, That's so you've crazy. been reinstated and like, Oh, okay. So that's yeah. what they can find. And you can get your uh, seat formula at docparsley.com if people want to order that. Yeah. We're going to do docparsley.com Jocko though. Okay. Yeah. Cool. For your audiences. Uh, and, and we'll, and I'll put that uh, worksheet on there too. So right on, anybody right who on. digs this stuff. Um, what else? Echo, you got any questions? Yeah, couple. So oh. the By the way, Echo is in full support of everything you say, like to yes. the end through this oh, guy. Yeah. Rest is at the top of his list yeah. for life. I'm telling you. Yeah. Right, you can't just He's so he's Hawaiian though, right? Like, oh, yeah, in I Hawaii mean, there's a there's very good it's uh, the culture, man. robust rest culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah there you <laughs> very go. robust. So um Okay, so the down regulating of receptors, is that kind of the the whole 
explanation for tolerance of any drug? Like, you know. Yeah. That, um, so the technical phrase for that is it's tachyphylaxis. Yeah. And that's, that's really what that means. Essentially, there, there's, there's some nuance to that, but that's an easy way to think about it. It's mm-hmm. just um, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what's in your blood if it doesn't have a receptor, right? Mm. So you have you have to have a place to catch it. Both of those things are equal. So th- think of it like a lock and a key, right? Yeah. So like the the keys maybe what's floating around in your bloodstream, but then the lock is the lock that fits that key is the receptor. And so if you don't have the receptors, it doesn't matter how many keys are floating around. Yeah, and then different receptors can bind to like different stuff, right? Like you know, Holly, you yeah. said and you mentioned that, I forget all the all the names, but. You know, a receptor made for a very specific thing can a drug can be developed to be like, hey, it can bind to that receptor. And that, then have that's it. how most pharmacology is. So most pharmacology, well, you know, most most medicine, most biology is just it's really just descriptive, right? Like we figure out a way to look to see something or to measure something, and then we go, oh, this happens, and then that mm-hmm. happens, and and then we memorize the steps as though we now know something, like. All you did is like put names to shit that was happening and memorize it. Like you, you're not. It, but then they'll fit. Well, okay. So this molecule, we know when this molecule binds that, it does this. So we can like cut that out if that's a problem, or we can add some. Like we, can, we can have something bind that receptor that will do nothing, mm-hmm. or we can have something bind that receptor that does better than whatever is going to yeah. bind it, right? Mm. And so that's, that's really what pharmacology is mainly about other than antibiotics, which is like a different category. But most most drugs that have some effect on your physiology, that's how they're doing it. Mm. Huh. And then is catching up on sleep a thing? Yeah, so there's... When you got some sleep, you got to catch up on them, Sometimes, bro. yeah. <laughs> well, no, well, it actually, at first I was like, I heard that it is, then I heard that it isn't. And right. then, but then you guys were talking about like, hey, don't work out when you're sleep deprived. But bro, I'll work out sleep deprived. Sometimes have a great workout. Yeah. You asked me to do that the next day, bro, I'm dead. Mm. So I'll never do it. So like, I feel like I use, I went into the bank a little bit, used some stress hormones, mm. banged out a solid workout. Yeah. You know, caught up on some sleep. Did my full recovery and I'm and I'm good to go. Yeah. What was your original question? Is like oh, catching can, up can on you, that? Is that a thing yeah. or am I kind of at a bigger loss because yeah, of so, that? So what, so what I what I say about it is um, like like the reason the reason that it takes eight hours to recover from being awake for sixteen hours is because you're essentially you're essentially stripping yourself of resources and you're building up waste products, right? So every cell in your body is like a miniature version of you. What do you do? Like you're awake a certain portion of the day, you're asleep a certain portion of the day, you take in nutrients, you do work with that nutrients and you create waste products, right? Mm -hmm. And your cell has to do all of that, right? And so your cells are producing waste products. A lot of that stuff isn't cleared out while you're awake. It has to be cleared out while you're asleep, especially in the brain. So if you don't do that, and let's say it's mildly toxic, so it's causing some inflammation, and then you don't get enough sleep, and especially like you stay up all night, well, now now you're going through tomorrow and you're just building up more waste products, and so that's sort of damaging you. Mm -hmm. Not hugely. It's not like it's not going to cause some sort of noticeable brain damage, but just a slight impairment, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little inflammation. It's maybe... um, strips some cells of some nutrients or something. So I say it's, it's like if you break your leg and you just walk around on your broken leg until it heals, it's still going to heal. 
some to some degree at some point and you're just going to become the functional new you um now how badly it's broken and and how well it repairs will determine how how good the new you is but Mm -hmm. if you break your leg and you go see a doctor and you line everything back up and you make sure that everything's right there and you put a cast on it and you take the weight off of it and like now when that repairs that bone's actually stronger, but there's still like a scar tissue in there. I can still get do an X-ray and say, "Oh, that was broken there." May, that bone might actually be better than mm-hmm. it, than it was, but there's some noticeable changes. There's some noticeable difference in there. Whereas you didn't re, you didn't repair it as quickly as you could, and maybe there's a lot of deformity and a lot of problems. It, mm-hmm. It's a it's a weak metaphor, but it's the best thing I have. So, paying back your sleep debt does rebalance your hormones, rebalance your inflammatory cascades, your, a lot of your signaling molecules that tell your other cells what to do and tell, well, tell cells what to do and tell cells how to communicate. Um, all of that stuff can be mended, but if there's some damage done in there to where like you start, you have some inflammation, um, you wall off some of the waste products with the, you know, with like a protein that kind of like encapsulates it and like that's all damaged. And so you don't, necessarily recover a hundred percent but you can recover your function back but that doesn't mean that you didn't do maybe a little bit of damage right. here and there yeah huh interesting see how complex this is bro complex bro it goes deep man. bro you better get your rest away <laughs> <laughs> doc any closing thoughts man oh man just happy to be here proud to serve um i don't know man but there's so there's so much to talk about but uh uh uh, you know, f- for people in there uh, not 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 sleeping well, I'd say that's that's the that's the foundation. I think you get get that get that in place, um, and then that should repair hormones. But if it doesn't, like work on hormones, and then like we, you and I were talking about outside of it, I think uh, any anybody who has some lingering issues after that, I'd say you know go find yourself a doctor that does good peptides. That that helps regenerate, helps changes the cell signaling, changes what the cells do, a lot like hormones do. There's a lot of promising stuff in there. You can, we can probably start fixing some. In, well, we can definitely fix some injuries without surgery now that used to be surgical, um, especially tendons and ligaments and stuff like that. So, um, unsolicited advice for your audience. There. No, it's yeah. awesome. I I know I always uh, I often get a bad rap for being anti-sleep and I'm certainly not and uh, you know even in the book Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual I, I wrote like hey you need sleep you right. need to get as much sleep as you need to be performing at your optimal levels so yeah I'm, I'm on board um, so the so you know, I I say eight hours because the research bores out that it's somewhere around seven and a half hours, plus or minus half an hour. So mm-hmm. it could be closer to seven. The only way anybody really knows how much sleep they need is if they go to bed at the same time every day, wake up the same time every day without an alarm clock, and they feel good and refreshed. Mm-hmm. And like that's the only way to know. Yeah. And again, that's ideal. What's reality? <laughs> like I don't know. There's some. There's a bridge in between those two where we're gonna. You know, use gadgets and tricks and supplements and things like that, like to help bring reality closer to ideal. But that's the only way you'd really know, and that's and it's not the same every day. Like mm-hmm. the the thing is to remember, this is biology. It's not a yeah. it's not a car. It's not a, you know, we're not tuning a carburetor. Like this is biology. It's messy. It's approximate. And you don't you don't need exactly the same amount of sleep tonight as you'll need that's the next point, night or yeah. the day before. It's like 
if I go run an ultra marathon today, then I probably like 26 hours in a row of sleep. If I do nothing but lay on my couch and watch television, I might get away with six and a half hours of sleep. Like, like it's, it's an approximation and the whole idea, you know, the Pareto distribution, like anything else, man, it's like 80% of the time you want to be doing the right thing. And that makes you more resilient for the 20% of the time when you can't do the right thing, right? Or when you don't want to do the right thing and, and you know, the trade-off is worth it for you. So, uh, you know, the most important part is not to be a zealot. And the number one reason people don't sleep well is because they're worried about not sleeping well, right? Because they hear something like this, or I, you know, like they'll hear me on a, on a law enforcement podcast or something, and I tell them, shift workers die on average 12 to 14 years earlier than their, everybody Oof. else because the World Health Organization classifies shift work as a type 2A carcinogen, which is the same thing as cigarettes were, which means we're pretty damn sure this causes cancer, but it would be unethical to test that. Like we can't do research and cause cancer in people. So it's a type 2A carcinogen. And your risk of heart attack, stroke, like everything increases because you're sleeping against your circadian rhythm, right? And so they hear something like that and now they're panicked because like, well, I work shift work. I don't want to die. <laughs> I don't want to die 12 years earlier. Uh, so what do I do? And uh, so the number one reason people don't sleep well is because they're worried about not sleeping well. well maybe so that's one of the reasons I sleep well. Then. Chill out, right? <laughs> like chill out, chill out, do what I said, like download that worksheet and you know, do what I said, get, get in bed, like get in bed for eight hours a night, like mm -hmm. figure out a way to do that. That's not impossible. I realize that it's not necessarily 100% possible for 100% of people, mm -hmm. but do the best you can to do that. And let it be what it is. Like you'll help people say, oh, you can't get a, you can't go to sleep. Get up and get out of your bed. You don't want to associate your bed without, with not sleeping. And so then go sit in the living room and read a book or something and then come back. And when you feel tired, and I don't agree. Like I have not seen that work well. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I mean, I've been doing this for, I don't know, 13, 12, 13 years now I've been, I've been helping people on this and that I, I don't, I don't see any way around the fact that if I get up and read, I'm not doing myself any benefit, right? If I lay in bed and meditate, at least my stress hormones are lower. At least I'm getting some non-sleep rest now. So just lay in bed. And the only reason that you're going to associate with negative thoughts is if you're stressed out about not sleeping. So if you're not stressed out, you're just going, well, I'm just going to meditate. Like, well, then it's, now it's just a place to meditate and sleep and have sex. Like, mm -hmm. why not? Like, all those are great things. Like, just be in there as much as you can be. So I think Echo's next tattoo is going to say, get in bed, stay in bed. My son, uh, he wrote like this commercial for me. I couldn't find anyone to work in it. To work to act in it because everybody's like oh like all the team guys are like oh it's cheap like I don't because it, it says like you know I'm a badass or whatever it's like badasses like me or something and um uh, whatever and and then like I can't afford any SAG actor because they like you got to pay and have insurance and all this stuff and so uh, never ended up making it but at the end of it he's like so what are you waiting for wake up and get some sleep like, oh, that's cool. So, but that's like a tagline in the back. We have like t-shirts with that and stuff. It's pretty cool. Wake up, Wake get up, some sleep. Get yeah. Sleep. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming down. Uh, also, anyone that's listening to this podcast right now at this time, or if you ever listened to this podcast before, you can thank Doc Parsley. Because if it wasn't for Doc Parsley, this podcast wouldn't exist. Yeah. Why is that? Um, yeah. Because Doc Parsley 
introduced me to Peter Atia yeah. and said Jocko should go on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yeah, yeah. So that that is literally the one little pivot in my life where I was like, oh, you know, I meet Peter and Peter's like, yep, tells Tim you should have this guy on. Yeah. And there it was. I went on Tim Ferriss's podcast and Tim Ferriss, uh, when we got done recording, he looked at me and said, you should have your own podcast. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, that, that could be a thing. And then Joe Rogan heard that podcast and invited me on in his podcast immediately. And then in the middle of that podcast, he said, you should have your own podcast. And so between those two guys, I started this podcast. So Well, when the kind of two top podcasters tell you <laughs> that you should have a podcast. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's funny. Um, the first podcast I ever did was Rob Wolf's. Uh-huh. And it was because he was at my house I think we were doing a re, you know, one of the pre or post retreats, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not, but we were definitely lecturing at the same event. And uh, so he was staying at my house, and he all of a sudden goes, "Oh shit, I'm supposed to be on a podcast. You want to do a podcast?" I'm like, "Yeah, what's a podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I get, I so we sit down with like a computer between us, and uh, and he's uh, and it's like on the armrest in between the two of us, and we just talk in this computer, and like I don't even know what we're doing, like. Uh, I'm not the slightest bit nervous or concerned because I don't know what the hell we're doing. Honestly, like, I'm just talking to Rob, and uh, then he he uh, calls me, and then maybe like two weeks later, and he goes, "He goes, dude, you got to do your own podcast." I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "He's I had Ferris on eight weeks ago, and your podcast has more downloads than his, double the podcast download is his, and it's only been up for two weeks." And I was like. <laughs> What's well, a download? <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, so uh, it, like he tried to talk me into doing my own podcast, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, what am I going to do? Podcast on sleep? Like, that doesn't seem doesn't seem sustainable. Like, yeah. you can't do 400 episodes on sleep. Like, yeah, maybe I guess maybe you can. I'm like, I don't. Know. <laughs> and and that's the only thing anybody knew me for back then. It's like, so um, yeah, I I think it would be cool because I'd like to. There's lots of people I'd like to talk to, mm-hmm. but. I don't have the work ethic and time to do it. <laughs> just like, like I travel so much, like I don't, yeah. I'd be scattered, like trying to compress doing ten in a day or something. Like I don't know, like it's more work than people think. It's a I lot think. of work. It's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah, I think people don't realize what yeah. goes into it. But, um, well, like I said, if it wasn't for you introducing me to Peter and then to uh, Tim, well. Well, I I think you got to you got to give yourself plenty of credit. I mean, lots lots of guys have been on this podcast and not done with you, not done with you, done. You know? Like you, well, uh, well, but yeah, we we knew the we knew the Jocko legend would spread. Yeah. Well, I appreciated yeah. it, man. Yeah, and it's uh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming down. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on. Obviously, thanks for your service. Thanks for uh, what you did in the teams, holding the line, and uh, you know, especially for when you got done with the teams coming back and taking care of the teams and the team guys and thanks for what you're doing today to continue to take care of them and take care of other people man appreciate it yeah definitely it's definitely my honor like it it truly is my favorite thing to do if i if i could just do if i could just work with sf guys and like i'd do that all day like it's it's fun like i you know the community is just like it's cool it's cool guys to 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 treat and they're not fucking entitled little bitches that are going to call me every hour so like like they apologize for calling me once every three months be like hey i'm really sorry but i ran out of meds like six weeks ago (laughs) like yeah uh so it's a it's a great community and like i said it uh you know the team's totally turned my life around like they're 
there's no way I would have achieved 10% of what I've achieved in my life if I hadn't gone there first. So like I, I there, there's no amount of uh, payback for that. It's like I'll, I'm indebted to that organization for the rest of my life. So yep. yeah. you and me both, man. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks right. for coming out, bro. Yeah. Thank you. With that, Kirk Parsley has left the building. Echo, probably yes. your most beloved podcast you've heard. We'll say it's my cup life. of tea. It's your cup, cup of, tea. of tea. For sure. Talking about the fact that rest is important, as you yeah. like to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was talking, when you guys were talking about the fast twitch, slow twitch, uh-huh. and you know how like your intermediate twitch. Yeah. Inter- bro, that was like, I never categorized even though i understand i understand and so i was like like him where sprinting cool even if i get in good shape bro sprint all day as long as i get some rest between those sets you know kind of a thing but bro put me on the bike or running or something bro i feel like i'm suffering the whole time i still do it and then even when i'm done if if i'm in normal shape or whatever if when i'm done i don't feel super gassed it's just that i'm suffering so much during the run that's how I felt, and I, I wish I should have looked it up. I don't know where we we're going to cover that subject, but I remember reading an article, and they had discovered this new like, intermediate twitch muscle, and yeah. I was like, "That's me!" And I felt like I felt like so good because yeah. it made sense. Oh, okay, because like I said, I was never winning any sprints, and I was never winning any fourteen mile runs, but on a rucksack. Where yeah. it's just like, hey, you got to put out for a long period of time yeah. and be a little bit strong. Yeah. I was good at that. Yeah. Grappling is the same. And yeah. by the way, my grappling, my my physical genetics, they're good for a particular kind of grappling. Yeah. And it's actually, unfortunately for you, it's the kind of grappling that you and I do. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you have the genetics for a three-minute round or two three-minute rounds or something like this. Mm-hmm. I have good genetics for... 38 minutes yeah you know well uh, yeah and i would put it this way yours you're good for 38 minutes going like putting on yeah putting on some heat yeah look you're not exploding through stuff which actually in jujitsu you should probably avoid exploding Mm. into and out of stuff unless it's a seven minute match you know unless it's seven minutes if it's it's a seven minute match i'm gonna you know you're getting the takedown like if you and i went in a if you and i did a tournament right now a tournament match Ten minutes would be problematic for you, yes. so we couldn't even go black belt. We'd have to go like no. blue belt, like five minute or six minute match. You could yeah. win with you know, yeah, you yeah. could win. Even I would say more like a three. Okay, three minute match you could win. <laughs> six minute match probably gonna be hurt. <laughs> uh, yeah, after that four and a half five. Yeah, yeah, because you could to take a you toll. could get like some kind of a takedown maybe. Even though the problem with you trying to get a takedown on me is you you would be too threatened by the guillotine and you'd probably not go for it and you'd probably lose. Yeah, that's true. See, and now you're talking to me, and, and this is not. I'm getting strategic on you though. <laughs> yes, which I which, respect. Which is what I would be doing anyways, by the way. Yeah, so, which is a good point actually. So look, we're talking about jujitsu here, right? Even though before we're talking about kind of like endurance and conditioning yeah. or whatever. So jujitsu, the mental part of jujitsu is way more important than the physical part of it. Mm-hmm. Where like getting excited and like all these things and what i'm going to do how much you know compared to how much i know what you know about my like all this stuff like is such a huge factor Mm -hmm. so just keep that in mind so we're just talking essentially like nuts to nuts if me and my physical attributes and a given or we'll say standard amount of jujitsu knowledge versus you and your physical attributes versus the same amount of fit like knowledge just the physical Mm -hmm. attributes it would be problematic for me anything after four and a half minutes i would say 
That's if we were even on everything, everything else. else. Yeah. Even on knowledge, basically. Yeah. Because yeah. we're both about. I mean, how, we're both like two twenty five. Yeah. And we're both the same height, and so so that's a pretty good even match. Yeah. But I just know more than you do. Yeah. But if we took that away and we were just you against me with the same brain, the same knowledge, yeah. Yeah. you'd be good for f- a little bit of time. Actually, I might. <laughs> I could probably turn up the heat for a good two, two and a half yeah. minutes and yeah. maybe get the better. But, bro, that heaviness and that, like, yeah. after a while, I'm like, bro, just, just kill me. Yeah, and it's I could hard. survive two and a half minutes yeah. pretty much with anything. So that makes sense when you're talking about the rock, where, mm-hmm. like, someone like me would be like, rock, this is light. Do that for like yeah. 10, 20, 30 minutes, bro. No ways, bro. I want to take that thing off, yeah. like after a few minutes or whatever, but it'll feel light, then it'll get heavy real quick. And then you, and then an endurance guy, bro, that thing's going to be heavy yep. immediately. Too heavy for him. Yeah. yeah. Like, like and it's kind of too, like, I can jog pretty easily, even with a ruck, even with a ruck that's like 75 pounds, I can yeah. jog. No like, jog. Yeah gonna put a hurting on some guys that are a little bit smaller you know what I mean? yeah. or, or that have so much endurance muscle yeah so, so it made sense man and, and thinking back to all my experiences where i'm suffering mm-hmm. you know and again it's not like i can't do it but i feel like bro these guys running well, have he, to be suffering way less than yeah this. He, he trained for a couple years and got worse Amazing. at triathlon that's crazy so that is crazy all right but it's i know you like it because we talked about rest and yeah. you're a proponent Oh, yeah. One of the best, one of the best at resting. You're probably the best rester that I've ever known. <laughs> Bro, I used to be. You know the kind where like you can fall asleep. What the mean people you used to be. <laughs> well, you know, now I'm a little bit spoiled. Where like, if someone has like, like if I go to hotel bed and the pillow's not the right thickness, you know, like <laughs> it'll change. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. Or the or the <laughs> or the bed is like kind of like the no, cheaper I don't bed. Know this, bro. Oh yeah, because you stay in the luxury hotel. I understand. It's actually here's a, here's a, like a little uh, thing I feel bad about. Sometimes I'll go and do an event for somebody, mm-hmm. and they'll put me in you know the presidential suite, right? Oh, hell yeah. And then I'll come down in the morning, like, how was the room? And I'm always like, <laughs> oh, it was great, you know? But in my mind, I literally do not care it do, at all. Bro, remember the time. In and g- I'm damn sure not going, well, you know, the piddle, piddle pillow was a little stiff or whatever it is you just said. <laughs> it's too soft. No, okay, remember the time. It was you, okay, you went somewhere, like, and you stayed at, I don't know, you didn't have a hotel or something, so you stayed at, like, Jamie's rental house. I don't know. So you stayed somewhere, like, mm-hmm. at someone's, like, unoccupied house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you didn't have any blankets or anything, so you got like a shower curtain. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> wasn't Jamie's unoccupied house. That was? Yeah. Okay, okay. Right, you told me that story, and this was like well into your career. So it's not like you were just that roughing it. That was like a it. year ago. <laughs> it was like last Actually, week. no, there's Jocko Live. It was 2020. Yeah. Just bro, before. Bro, that story, up. like, of course, made me laugh, but bro, I was suffering with you mentally. I was like, bro, no pillow. Like, and you're just battling through it like whatever bro i couldn't have done it bro i would have canceled the show <laughs> it would have canceled a shower curtain and a rug or some, something i was like bro no way bro no no way jack all right well you need rest you're gonna need fuel another component it's true as they say yeah of uh physical fitness rest and and get that fuel Re- exercise rest fuel that's the three components for getting stronger mm. yes, sir so chocolate fuel what do we got Kind of everything now. Yeah, we okay. have pretty much everything yeah. now. So we'll go discipline. That's an energy drink, new paradigm, mm-hmm. all healthy. Mm-hmm. No, not healthy, all healthy. No sugar, no preservatives, no nothing. And tastes good. All by upside. The way. Yeah, all upside. Also, milk, 
that's the, that's the extra protein. Mm-hmm. And you need extra protein when you're trying to build. It's hard to get all the protein you need, by the way. Yeah. For real. Yeah. How much protein do you think you need? Uh, well, you know, I, I usually have seven ounces of protein per lean body, per pound of lean body. Ounces? Damn, bro. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That's but it's, it's one gram per, right? That's like the standard one gram per. <laughs> I know some people say 0.7 grams per. I say one gram per pound. Okay, so if you're, if you're going Jocko uh, philosophy, that's if you weigh 220, yep. 220 grams of protein. Yep. You got 30 grams of protein, one can of tuna. Mm-hmm. 30. So you need how many of those? A lot. <laughs> Freaking a lot in one day, bro. That's a lot of protein. Now, if you eat steaks, it's I was like, like what? work it out for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you eat a steak, that's like, like what? 50? 50 grams of protein? Yeah. So you need four steaks in one day, bro. Get real. Mm. You know, not all of us can eat four steaks, but boom, you get the, you roll the milk into the equation, bro. Easy money. And it tastes good. It's like a dessert. It ain't going to help you with your math, though, apparently. Yeah. That's what the discipline is for right there. That go. <laughs> anyway, we'll, oh, we'll got check. some other stuff. Stuff for your joints, keep you in the game. Creatine. It's like all good. Creatine. Back on the creatine train. Yeah. Right? Damn. That was a thing. And then, because it's so, it's so well studied. That's the cool thing about it. Yeah. And the cool thing about it now is they're finding it's not just, it's not just for getting stronger. There's all kinds of, there's cognitive benefits, there's health benefits. So yeah. creatine, we just rolled out with that. Yep. Joint warfare, super krill. Immunity stuff. Immunity. It's kind of everything. You know what I have to remember how this is a real thing getting sick when you take a break. Remember that? Getting sick I think, when yeah, you it was, take it a was, break. It was Huberman. If I was telling Huberman, or he, he mentioned something about when your body kind of, st- when your mind stands down, like, oh, you have a break now? Your body's like, oh, cool. We can get sick now real quick. Cause yeah. just get, you know, and that happens. That has happened to me like legitimately five times. In, in the past 20 years where I had, okay, I've been going, going hard, working really hard, and then I finally get a break and I immediately get sick. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and remember. so I'm, you know, cranking the Cold War oh, to yeah. keep that stuff at bay. Yeah, all that so an- anti inflammatory stuff, man, is good, man. Uh, Jockofuel.com, Wawa, Vitamin Shop, the Military commerce, Commissaries, Hannaford. Dash stores in Maryland, Wake Fern and ShopRite, Circle K in Florida, HEB. Come on, HEB, man. You're in Texas. There you go. Okay. Murphy's, Southeast, and Meyer in the Midwest. That's where you can get this stuff. Go get stronger, get better, get healthier. It's true. Jocko Fuel. What else? Origin. Boom. Origin. You got your jujitsu yeah. geese over there. Got rash guards. Got apparel. Durable goods is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Jujitsu geese. Yeah. Geese. Train jujitsu. That's my recommendation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, also, don't forget about the jeans, the belts, the boots. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about that kind of stuff. That stuff is like a big deal because nowadays it's hard to grab, get those stuff, the stuff that's made in America, but for real yeah, yeah, made in yeah. America. From the, from the dirt. Yeah. From its inception as a thought, it's made in America. Yeah. And when someone thought about it, it was in America. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. OriginUSA.com. Yep. Also, Jocko has a store. It's where you can buy the stuff to wear, to represent on this path. Discipline equals freedom. Good. Remember the concept of good. Mm-hmm. Right? You want to represent that all day. Hats, hoodies, all that stuff. Christmas is pretty much done Yep. at this point. You missed it. You missed it. It's okay. 
You didn't miss nothing. <laughs> Jockostore.com. Also, we got the Shirt Locker, which is a subscription. Yeah. People like this. Yeah. People are representing hard on the Shirt Locker. Where, you know, a little bit different designs. Always has to do with the path, though. Always. The designs always have to do with the path. Now, for you to understand, it's going to take some some mental work, but it's kind of fun. But anyway, a lot of the, people like it. There's a reward to it. There's a reward to it. So it's called the Shirt Locker. It's on jockostore.com. Is, it, is it fair to say that the Shirt Locker shirts can be heavily layered? Is heavily, that fair? Heavily, is that fair heavily layered. Yes, it is fair. Right on. Awesome. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Go to jockounderground.com. We're recording a couple of those today, $8.18 a month. That's why, that why we have our own platform. You can see what's going on with platforms right now. They're getting people getting banned, some people not getting banned, people turning from this, turning to that. It's, it's mayhem out there. Yeah. So that's why we have our own platform, jockoonderground.com. We own it. We, we totally control it, which is nice. So if you can't afford $8.18 a month, just email assistance at jockoonderground.com. We'll take care of it because we, we want, I want you to be free. We want to be free. Sure. Yeah. We want you to be free. So there you go. YouTube channel, Psychological Warfare, FlipsideCanvas.com. We got a bunch of books. Um, check out JockoPublishing.com. Get Only Cry for the Living. Get Final Spin. Um, all the other books I've written, get them. Echelon Front Leadership Consultancy. If you need help in your organization, go to EchelonFront.com. We have some events coming up. Orlando, Florida, April 3 to 5. 2023 in Dallas, October 18th through the 20th, 2023. FTX Council Battlefield about. We did those Civil War podcasts, Civil War excursions, Mm -hmm. and those things are now selling out. So just if you want to go to Battlefield, go and sign up for Battlefield. Either come to Gettysburg and and check it out or Little Bighorn. Very awesome events. We have online training platform called Extreme Ownership Academy, extremeownership.com. This is leadership and life lessons that you can learn online. So check that out, extremeownership.com. And if you wanna help service members active and retired, you wanna help their families, gold star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a charity organization. And if you wanna donate or you wanna get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org. Also don't forget about Micah Fink taking Veterans out of the wilderness, heroesandhorses.org. And if you want to connect with us, well, remember you got Doc Parsley. He's on the interwebs, docparsley.com. He's got Instagram, Kirk Parsley. He's got Twitter, Doc Parsley. And for us, Echo, is that Echo Charles? He's back on Twitter, by the way. Mm-hmm. Are you engaging? Sparsely. Okay. But yeah, I'm like engage more, I think. I hope. I'm going to try. Maybe. <laughs> well, anyways, I guess it's not really worth following Echo Charles <laughs> on Twitter if he's got that kind of attitude. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on the Instagram. Echo Charles on all those things, too. Echo's at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. Watch out for the algorithm. It'll get you. Thanks to, again, to Doc Parsley for what he's doing and what he has done, and thanks to the people out there in uniform pushing your body to the breaking point to protect our great nation. That's what Doc was talking about. You do that job, whatever you're doing in uniform, and you're, you're sacrificing your body 
to protect the country so we thank you all for what you do everyone in uniform and the same goes for police and law enforcement firefighters paramedics emts dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service all first responders you heard what doc said about shift work when you're staying up opposite hours and every one of those jobs i just mentioned you all do that you also sacrifice your bodies to keep us safe so thank you for what you all do every day and everyone else out there yeah look you got to push hard but you do need to get rest you do need to recover that is critical for growth and for health that being said just do me a favor don't lie to yourself (laughs) because there's some people are gonna take this and run with it they're gonna make rest the priority of their existence and I'm not saying look I'm not saying don't rest rest you heard me you heard doc you heard echo Charles chiming in but when it's time to get up get up and use the day to make yourself tired so you can sleep well and the way you make yourself tired is of course by going out there and getting after it and until next time this is echo and Jocko 